0: Hey guys, real quick, Drew wanted me to add that um, exclusively on Amazon and Kindle, you can look up the books he was talking about that he's authoring called The Demand, so go ahead and check it out, and uh, read it for yourself, and then when he comes back on, when the last one's ready, we'll talk about it even more. Awesome, thanks guys. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Happy Haven Podcast. This is Gnarly Canary coming at you once again, and with me today is...
1: Drew Geraci, longtime veteran of DC and Marvel Comics, uh, serving fans uh, since 1995. Uh, Also author of the Demands novel series, available on Amazon. Uh, That's about
0: it. Awesome. So I love my comic people. Um, Me too. Right? They're good folk. They are. Uh, Hi. I was looking at your, at your the comic book database thing on you and holy cow dude
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's i i it's funny i put my head down to start inking my first couple books and then i 30 you know 20 years later i lift my head up and i see all these books i've done in my wake (laughs) so it just came like that you know so i'm a workaholic
0: yeah but i mean it's it's a pretty amazing uh resume you've touched for multiple publishers stuff that everybody's going to be able to go, holy crap, you know, about. Um, So I know when we were setting up the episode, you and I were talking earlier and you said that when you went to go into the comic industry that, you know, you had to, you had friends that wanted to go with you, but that it required leaving a job and taking a risk. So was comic something you always loved and that love, was just more of a pull than anything else or you know was it just ai i'm gonna do this no matter what type of thing
1: well uh i i first one of my first books was an early genre meet of captain and i was real little back then and uh my mom tossed it away. No, well, it wasn't expensive or anything. She just kind of thought it was like a newspaper. You read it and you toss it. So right. uh, I was a little. I mean, I wasn't really bugged. I, I, you know, I kept myself doing, you know, normal kid things. And then around uh, when the first Marvel Treasury Edition with Spider Man came along in 1974. Uh, it was at a grocery store and my grandmother bought it for me down in Lakeland, Florida. And oh my God, it's like, if you don't read that as a kid, and it doesn't make an impression on you. I don't know what's wrong with you. Cause it just, you know, especially when you're a kid, the proportions of the treasury edition are even larger. And I'm yeah. a, i I reread that thing the whole summer. I spent the summer with my grandparents and, uh, and then I started drawing my own comics. And uh, I mean, I have no recollection, really, of anything before comics. So I guess that was to be, you know, I guess that's back in my mind where I was always heading. It just took me I farted around too much after high school. I should have broken in early earlier, but it was an insecurity issue at the time. But but uh, and I had several people, friends from work or other places that were going to you know, one was I was going to write and, you know, ink and someone's going to pencil or, you know, switch it around. And one by one, they fell by the wayside just because, uh, even before, uh, like, you know, even before I quit my job, it's just that uh, they, I don't know, one guy who I defriended recently on Facebook because uh, I was going to break in with him because I put an ad in the Comics Buyer's Guide and uh, looking for, you know, to break in. And this guy, every time I post something, he was being a real dick. Uh, I mean, he would like, uh, pull something apart about some of the art i'd post but meanwhile he's the guy in 1992 that i contacted through my uh you know uh phone and all that and he's like well i gotta go because tech war is on and i'm like uh you know so i just cut <laughs> it loose you know and i'm like you have to you have to um sacrifice so
0: that's right it. you do you yeah do. i mean to follow anything that you love You really do. Very, very few are born into a situation where it's just something that's handed to them early and they just get to run with it pretty much their whole life. I think I've run into maybe one or two people out of an entire world where everything kind of clicked for them and then they were able to settle in. You know, most of us. Yeah, you got to reach a point where you're like, this is something that will truly make me happy and something I really enjoy. Yeah, yeah more than, you know, being a a humdrum every day -er. or have the backbone to do it end up, you know, usually doing great things, you know, I mean, here we are talking on a podcast and you've got quite the amazing, you know, backlog of stuff that, that you've been able to touch and work on and bring to people. And it all came from being willing to, you know make that sacrifice and and some people they get really inspired and they go along with you for a bit and then when it comes time to actually you know nut up or shut up you know some people just that leap looks a little too big at first and they kind of you know beg off right at the last minute i've had that happen on projects i've tried and you know you end up being the only one willing to do it and i can't i i mean i can write but i cannot draw worth a darn My 12-year-old daughter draws better than I do, so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Uh, You know what? Uh, Except for, can you still hear me? Okay. All right. Except for the guy from the Comics Buyer's Guide, who I'd never really met in person, uh, all the other ones were friends, either from work or just uh, where I grew up, and... Uh, they just understood that I wanted it more, and we're right. still all friends. There's no jealousy. There's no whatever. In fact, there, there's been some months I, I'm envious of them because they, you know, uh, they have the steady job, and with uh, freelancing, you got to hustle. You got to whore yourself out every, you know, once in a while. If things are going slow, or while well, you're in the middle of a project, you got to go fishing for the next one. And right. uh, so th- that's a part I don't like, but uh, and that's half the reason I went down to CrossGen, cross-gen in Florida because. That would save me the time of having to contact editors, but uh, but I mean I did have a lot of editors you know fight over me which was cool, but it's just there was a point where I was having to sell myself more and uh, you know CrossGen was kind of a mess for me, but I did make a lot of good friends and that's the one thing I take away from it after all these years. So but uh, and then you know after it folded uh, I went back to freelancing and uh, did a Batgirl issue and mostly uh dc but i did a little bit of marvel and then a little bit of idw here and there and you know just uh, like you said a lot of smaller publishers but it was uh you know as i like i like to keep working i like to keep fresh so
0: well yeah i mean there's such a breadth to different titles and and everything else that i mean you know despite the struggles of freelancing you know you still kind of have the the freedom of working on a bunch of different books there's you know I'm sure the long term contracts are great security wise, but I mean, you know, you get to, to flit around and touch all these different properties that I'm sure have different writing styles and art styles and completely different genres. And I'm sure that keeps it from getting too, uh, you know, too everyday or humdrum, you know, as, as somebody yeah. might.
1: I mean, there, there's some projects I've done that I really didn't give a crap about, but. I always put my best effort into it. I try to make it interesting, or I saw it as a challenge. I'm like, oh, this story is shit. (laughs) But it's like, uh, but, you know, I'm just going to, you know, muscle through this and make it shine, you know, make it look like I really care because – when you're freelancing you're really auditioning for your next job which is annoying and uh, because contracts are not are extremely rare these days and it's only for like the big names you know like uh, the, the fan favorite uh, uh, people that uh, work on you know like probably like the Kuberts and you know Jimmy Chung who's a good friend of mine and uh, uh, you know like the big the ones that really draw people in but uh, otherwise they don't do contracts anymore really and uh at Even DC the big houses, no 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 they yeah well, in fact, they're hiring a lot of newbies uh, uh, at, at a much lower page rate and right. uh, so and it's sort of showing up in the books I have to be honest <laughs> and uh, you know it's just I mean a lot of stuff looks like color forms at best. And uh, uh, it's, I don't know, because I look at him, I'm like, that doesn't look like Marvel to me. And I'm not saying everybody has to ink like Joe Sinnott or everybody has to look like the Bassemas, but uh, because you had all those edgy new artists in the, you know, 90s with, you know, Miller and Bob Layton and all those guys. uh, Yeah,
0: Jim Lee and, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just like, funny, I was reading, I got the epic collection called Venom, which was uh, covered a few issues right before Todd McFarlane came on board and uh, I read those issues when it came out way back when and I just realized how much I enjoy them each issue had a complete story in it and that's very rare these days they they, they drag them out and they make you have to buy a trade and uh, I don't know I just I mean if you're on a budget uh, I don't I, you know, I just see comics as becoming a very a difficult hobby to maintain and that's just uh you, know, you know. I
0: have I have other episodes where I've talked about that I mean I remember you know I mean I've collected and I, I kind of got out of it now I actually go to trade paperbacks just because it's easy if you yeah. if you want to work now but I remember you know as a kid it was it was the rare big event when you had to buy multiple books to follow one storyline and, and it always it they always made it pay off because they didn't do it very often you know, that they would break and be like, Okay, well you need to follow this in action comics fifty seven and then, you know, next month go to Teen Titans, you know, to to and, and it was it was kinda rare and now I mean I tried to get back into collecting, you know, when I started the show a Good couple luck. Of years ago. Yeah. And I walked in and looked at the wall, and I was like, "Jesus Christ, there's 15 Iron Mans." Like, if you were, yeah, you know what I mean. If you have zero <laughs> comic knowledge and, and you liked the movies, and even as an adult or a kid, you were like, "Well, I'll, you know, pop down to the local comic shop or whatever, and and try to get in and read the book, so that you know I can join in, in these conversations about the bigger stories that the comic readers talk about around the movies." It would be, yeah. be very intimidating if you were just like, I like Batman. I'm going to read Batman yeah. and Batman. And then you in and you're like, well, shit, there's like 20.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs>
0: like, well I okay, mean, so like... There's Batman, Batman and Robin. There's Red Hood and the Outlaws. There's Batman and Harley Quinn. There's Batman and. There's Dark Knight this. There's yeah. Detective Com. And you, you'd just be like, what the hell am I looking at?
1: I think they're sort of cannibalizing their own sales that way. And uh, uh, similarly, like you know, when uh, you know the X Men had a huge franchise and it still does, but when when Brian Michael Bendis did that with the Avengers, then we had like eight or ten Avengers titles, and that really like thinned out. uh, You know, it it just really, yeah, it it took all the stories. It kind of really thinned out. It it made it no longer special to be an Avenger. I mean, it used to be special to be an X Men and all that. An
0: Avenger now.
1: They usually have, like, one token real Avenger and a bunch of new characters that have either failed on their own series or, uh, you know, or just playing new ones. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's just that, you know, that brand has been diluted so much. I guess that's the way I meant to say it. And uh, it, it's like everybody, all of a sudden, you know, everybody, just, it's so absurd. And, uh, I mean, Wolverine, I know we put him in the Avengers because, you know, he wanted to do, like, a JLA Type thing where the most popular characters got together, but I I did the a few pages of the wedding of Luke Cage and uh, Jessica Jones, and he was in it for like a page of action, and then a lot of times he just hung around. And I'm like, if you're not gonna if you're gonna put Wolverine on the team, uh, you know, make it worthwhile. Don't just have him loiter like a lot of the other characters. So, uh, (laughs) but uh, it just that's that's my problem. A lot of times with the the modern stories is uh, you they're hiring people from who have Twitter accounts that are popular and they've never read a comic before. And then all of a sudden they interview to be like, I've never read a comic before and I'm so excited. And, and I'm just like, you know, there's a lot of people who want to write comics that have lived, you know, who've lived and breathed comics, your mama Luke. You right. Know, who like,
0: actually love the medium that they're, that they want to work in.
1: It's more like stunt casting these days. Yeah. You know, they'll get, people,
0: I, I noticed you know, that I don't have a Twitter anymore. Um, you know, I don't get political on the show, ever. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's called. The- yeah. But I um, yeah. I was in the middle of an argument with uh, an out socialist. Um, yeah. And we weren't even being nasty to each other. We, I was, mm-hmm. you know. I was telling him that, you know, this country isn't perfect and it's got a lot of its problems, but socialism has never worked anywhere it's really been implemented and you know but it was just a, an exchange of ideas back and forth and I've had I had the Twitter for the show. I had over 16, 1700 followers on there and a good presence to promote the show and I just got into this one conversation. Oh
1: uh, yeah. Yeah, I okay.
0: could and all of the followers started Typing stuff like bash the fash, which I guess they thought I was uh. a fascist, um, for saying, uh. hey, you know, mm. nothing here is perfect, but socialism hasn't really worked anywhere else. Let's talk about, you know, uh. why you think it does, and I'll tell you why I think it doesn't, and da da da. And everybody else around him, all these, you know, DSA accounts, um, they batch reported me for harassment and got me completely oh. suspended off Twitter after two years of yeah. never causing trouble with really anybody. So, yeah, yeah.
1: but it's ridiculous. But when
0: I was on Twitter, I, what I noticed was almost like what you said is, if somebody had like a deviant art page and they got a lot of followers, yeah, suddenly they'd be, you know, getting put on these major, you know, the the, the big houses where we're scooping them up. And these were like, if you looked at their work, it was all like anti superhero. Like, well, yeah, kind of almost look like Scott Pilgrimish for everything yeah, they but, did. Like, they're range yeah. and then they get on big books, and you're looking and you're like, why does this look like a chibi, like Teen Titans Go yeah. thing? But this is a major release yeah. title. I've noticed that, yeah. over the years. Well,
1: I mean, Teen Titans Go is good because it, well, I mean. I know you threw that as a zip, but that's because they fully devote themselves to be cartoonish. uh, uh, But it's like, um, no, it's just um, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. It's just, for one thing, there's not really any action. I've I've thumbed through, and there's a lot of talking, and there's a lot of uh, everybody, like of any age, old man, young, you know, longtime superhero, new person, a a kid, they all talk the same, and it's all uh, and there's a lot of shortcuts where you'll have a page of four panels and the first panel will be there and the other three are exact duplicates they called them statting in the old days when they used to make a photo set and then you'd have a discussion first two panels and then nothing the third panel and at the last one would be somebody a third party you would be like awkward and it's just like they all talk that way and uh it's it's just it's kind of silly they all talk like uh you know, like they're in sixth grade or something, or one of those precocious kids on a TV show who uh, always has the one-liners ready. So, uh, this is
0: knockin'
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, oh, you know what? I have to tell you, though. One thing I'm real excited about that Marvel's coming out is uh, I just stumbled across uh, that Butch Geis is going to be working on a new Invaders series for Marvel. Really? You know, with the, with the original members. It's like, well, I mean, and it's in present day. It's like, you know... I think it is. I can't remember if, uh, if, if it's Winter Soldier or Bucky on the cover, but it has Prince Namor, you know, the original Torch, Cap, and Bucky. Uh, I can't remember which one, you know incarnation of it is. But uh, I am so stoked for that because uh, uh, Butch is going to be doing the covers and he's going to be doing flashbacks. So the, the story is going to be part flashbacks and part uh uh, you know, in part modern stuff, and uh, I'm really excited about that because the last Invader series that came out was written by James Robinson and penciled by Steve Pugh. Well, actually, he penciled, inked, and colored it. It was fantastic. It had the same team as well. But uh, um, what happened was in the Captain America comic, they decided to take away the Super Soldier Serum, and then Steve Rogers became an old invalid, and then he got written out of the book. It, that and it wasn't. It was only because that happened in Cap and uh so all of a sudden this, they were having a hard time with sales because uh you know they had to really change the direction of the book and i loved it till the very last issue it only lasted 14 issues but Steve Pugh did fantastic work and james robinson he wrote the golden age back in 94 with uh, the dc universe you remember that it came out uh, it was a prestige four-part uh, pencil by paul smith and it has all the JSA characters. And if you haven't read it before, and you like the JSA, it is it is wonderful.
0: I think so. I've got some JSA trades that might actually have some of that in it.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know because uh, that was its own thing. That was like a four issue prestige. So I don't know if they would like hmm. shoehorn that in with another book. So it's basically two hundred pages, you know. And uh, it's it's really great. So uh, I mean, I, I I like the World War Two. Uh, heroes just because it, it just makes it interesting. It's like, you know, smashing tanks and, you know, seeing Prince Namor, like, you know, torpedo a Nazi sub and, right. you know, and they're all going like, Octu Larry Lieber or whatever, and uh, <laughs> and meanwhile water's like coming up past her mouth and crap, but uh, I, I love the original series, but my, my biggest my only hang-up was, I mean, I like that Roy Thomas knew his history. He was a history teacher. He actually briefly was a history teacher before he worked at uh, Marvel. And uh, he, you know, knew real events and stuff like that. And what I liked was, uh, oh, the only thing I didn't like is later on in the series he started introducing too many superheroes and supervillains. And to me, that kind of, you know, it kind of made it less real. You know, it's like I'd rather I, I like all my heroes to be like post uh, Cold War. <laughs> you know, right? And, uh, I know. What you, yeah. 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 So. I mean, I remember.
0: Of, good speaking of world which i i had and i don't know if my parents still have them i'm actually i live in Georgia. i mean we've talked about that but i'm originally from um about a half hour outside of boston oh wow and um yeah i mean i joined the army at 18 to get out of massachusetts because um, i was screwing up uh decided that my teens were a good time to just start rolling hand grenades into my own life with self-destruction and uh joined the army uh shot me down to fort benning georgia i went airborne infantry and then when i got out of that i had a cousin who did renaissance festivals and i traveled the whole country doing that for about a year and a half uh went coast to coast doing that doing a show every two months and then i moved to florida did commercial grouper fishing i went out on the gulf of mexico for two weeks and then was inland for two weeks And then I met a really pretty girl who lived in Georgia, and we've been together for 17, 18 years now. (laughs) So I moved to Georgia about 17, 18 years ago. Um, But I remember um, when I, and the reason why I went through all that is I don't know if my parents still have any of my old stuff at their house, but I had a lot of the, um, the weird war tales and a lot of the World War II comics Type stuff that marvel put out that i actually got from an older relative who when they found out i liked comics just basically gave me all their old ones from 20 years before i was even born
1: that, i can't get over
0: Go ahead. that they so i mean i had all these old 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 um world they War actually II, collect, uh, they collected them huh?
1: they collected comics too yeah um I'd never heard that. That's great.
0: Yeah, I have some pretty cool. I guess the 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 love for what the stuff I love and the nerdiness. I guess it came from that. I mean, I've got. I've got an older cousin who, when I was little, had basically the entire set of every Star Wars thing ever made. Um, wow. Yeah, and I don't know if he still has that, but I mean, this was like. Early '80s. I mean, this kid had like not just the figures, but I mean, he had like at-ats and
1: wow. Yeah, I can't
0: like get over. I can't,
1: I can't get over all the stuff you did as a career. I mean, what, what's what's left like bartending and pest control? And uh, <laughs> it's like, geez, oh, Pete. I thought I had a big resume as far as pre-comics jumping around from job to job.
0: No, but, I mean uh, I've been. I've been where I'm at now for about eight, nine years doing facilities work. Because, mm. I mean, when I did the Renaissance festivals, I didn't do um, any of the performing stuff. I right. I helped with all the construction of the of the booths and the stalls. So I had to learn mm. how to do cedar shake roofing yeah. and stucco and wow. glass etching mm. and all that. So now I just fix stuff for a living. And then I do this, you know, in, in my own time.
1: Oh shoot. If you learn how to fix stuff, man, you got a job for life. Because there's there's weenies like me who hire people like you to do that kind of stuff. Because I'm not very, uh, you know, I, I I'm 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 good if I have a couple dollars in my wallet and I could pay for it. <laughs> I can't I can't fix my car or anything. I had an old car when I was a kid. I, well, when I first got my car, it was a kind of a beater. It was a '75 Duster. I, I kind of learned how to fix my car only because that model year, uh, it the uh, starter kept crapping out. And uh, the alternator would, too. It was just terrible on those things. So I learned how to do that. And that's back when car engines, you know, you could actually work on them. I mean, they were big, but now they make them like, a, you know, a, a puzzle. You know yeah, it's a like freaking a
0: freaking supercomputer with all these sensors. And you can't just go tinkering around on it.
1: Well, also, it's like a Rubik's cube the way everything fits into place. It's like you really can't take it apart unless you're you know unless you're knowledgeable and that kind of stuff. My wife's brother-in-law, he's a genius. I mean, he's a self-taught. He could take a car completely apart and build it right back up, including painting. And I just—he only has high school education. He's just got that. He's always been mechanically inclined, and uh, he works on Citroens, uh, the old French cars from the late '60s, early '70s. And uh, oh wow, there's—and he does. You know, he does. He has a lot of clients, and they're very patient because you know collectors or enthusiasts of some of some things they they know that it takes time for quality and uh you know he'll get like he'll get like he has several citrons uh, in uh like a spare lot that he has by the house and he'll cobble pieces together you know and uh uh you know so and, and with ebay now it makes it a lot easier right. and with uh, they also have Uh, specialized eBays, like they have the ones that are just for car enthusiasts and stuff like that where, you know, you're not going to go, you know, looking through stuff you're not going to want to buy. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I I really envy him with that knowledge. I And I did back then, but I just wouldn't – it's all gone now. (laughs) I've been – too many comics rotted my brain, so.
0: (laughs) Well, see, that's just it. Like, I mean, I've always been – I mean – I'm a history buff. I love to read. I've read since, God, I think I started. My mom kept them. I started doing my own book reports before I was in kindergarten. Jeez. On stuff I liked, I would just like I wrote some six-page report on dinosaurs when I was like five, and it was during the summer, so I hadn't started kindergarten yet. And, and I mean, I'm I'm not saying like I'm a frigging road scholar or anything. It's just I had a blue-collar dad. Yeah. and you know he always the importance of knowing how to work with your hands so right you know like I mean yeah. I remember with him we would it was because I would stay I would it, it interested me and it was something we could do together like we would build you know like prototype robots in a wow. workshop in in his cellar but he's a propane guy the dude does propane service and repair you know he runs lines and Transports tanks and repairs things and this and that. He's been blown up like three times, and I'm not kidding. He's been Ooh. blown up three times. Um, the only thing he's got is some scarring on his hands um, hmm. from a really bad one. But like, he always did stuff like that. Um,
1: propane and propane it, is yeah. accessories. I, I didn't yeah. actually
0: pick on him for that, but he, actually had one. he does yeah. like the construction repair side of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, I I could do so like.
0: His hands and, and a rough, you know, and he yeah. did construction before that,
1: right? So right. You know, I kind well, of
0: I mean, followed suit with that. So I, I kind of have the best of both worlds. I'm super nerdy and I can debate history and do all kinds of brainy stuff, and then I can turn around and you know take yeah. the toilet out and get you a new one and well, drywall never... this and paint that, rewire a house. I was a full electrician for a couple of years before Jeez. the real estate market dropped out and.
1: If you were my neighbor, I would do artwork for you in trade, exchange for uh, working on the house.
0: <laughs> well, you're so. close enough where that might be a thing, dude. I know, but
1: I'm, I'm not going to take advantage of you. So, oh, I mean, I'd not feel amb- like I was not doing immediately, the actual. but <laughs> so
0: yeah. But, um, but see, I feel like I was doing the opposite. Like I'm doing this work, and this dude's having a having to do artwork. Like I, I have such a such an admiration for people who can draw. Like I said, I've loved cartoons and video games and movies and tv and comics my whole life and the most i can do is like a half-ass ninja turtle even at my age still
1: yeah but that's not i mean what you're doing is far more important as far as uh Eh. yeah skill set you know i mean i mean uh yeah i mean yeah definitely i mean you've got like a bulletproof skill set you know and, and i've inked mostly and that's sort of going away and i've come to terms with it because uh a lot of people, uh, a lot of pencils like to ink themselves in, or they'll add stuff through Photoshop and uh, stuff like that. I, I used to ink Howard Porter on JLA uh, during the Grant Morrison slash Mark Wade era. Oh, and, my God. Uh, yeah. And uh, that was good. really cool. I'll tell you what, that was like the number one selling book at the time. And, uh, I was outside walking my dog and a friend of mine popped out of the studio we shared and he says, Howard Porter's on the phone uh, for you. And I knew Howard from conventions and he, and John Dell had moved on to CrossGen, So he wanted an inker, and I was like his first pick after John. And I was thrilled. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, but anyway, uh, Howard Porter doesn't need an inker anymore because he does a lot of his drawing on the computer and it is incredible. It's, you, if you saw it today compared to what he did before, you would not recognize it. He's totally reinvented his style. I mean, and you know, we're still pals and all. I mean, I don't feel I'm not like oh, a okay, anymore. Okay, well, yeah, I know no, what you mean. You know, you're no friend of mine. But uh, you know, uh, but I mean, I just I'll pick up stuff that he's done because he's just it's just very visually exciting. You know, and he tends to get put on DC books that have more action in them, action in them, and I think that's because he does it well. You know, and uh, yeah, but uh, but yeah, I don't I don't really buy any uh, I, like one book I kept buying every issue, not waiting for the trade uh, was Bane Conquest because you know it was very much like a uh, uh, cliffhanger each issue you know, and uh, uh, that's what I loved about it because I mean I just remember uh, I don't know, I, I kind of miss cliffhangers they don't do a lot of that anymore and I don't know why they're they're sort of toned down it's almost like it's almost like comics. Uh, are embarrassed to be comics again, you know, and it's right. like not, every, and not everything is Watchmen. I mean, Watchmen was, uh, Alan Moore says to this day he regrets coming out with Watchmen because now he's spawned a billion imitators. And uh,
0: Oh, don't even get me started. Did you see, I don't mean to sidetrack you, but you mentioned Watchmen, which is one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for many reasons, but sure. did you see that Damon Lindelof comment he put out uh, no. All right, so Damon Lindelof, for whatever shows he's put out, and yay, you know, he's creative and a wannabe J.J. Abrams and all this crap, oh. um, he put out a quote because he's doing the upcoming Watchmen thing. I guess it's going to be on HBO. Oh, yeah. And, and he's already bragged that it's not going to follow the book, so I'm already out right there. Yeah, um, yeah. We already have, if you get the extended cut, I already have a four-hour movie that's pretty much except for what ozymandias does at the end right is still page for page and if you get the extended edition it's actually got the curse of the black freighter cartoon spliced in yeah right so i've already got got my watchman i can watch and i've got my watchman i can read what this dude said and this was a quote from last weekend and a couple of the comic book guys we follow together were commenting on it uh i think brian clegg and them were, were, were talking about it it was um He said, I'm not giving people the Watchmen they want, wait for it, I'm giving them the Watchmen they need right now. Good lord. What a self-important, up-my-own-ass dick thing to say. That is the worst. like That attitude in a lot of creators today actually has turned me off of a lot of books and a lot of TV Uh. and a lot of movies lately.
1: Well, there was a couple years ago, and uh, I saw like on one of the news sites, uh, and it just drove me. I mean, actually, it drove me nuts. But I, I'm kind of tired. You know, I'm kind of tired of being outraged. You know, it's like nothing surprises me. So um, they had a thing where Ben Grimm. Like, when's the last time you see Ben Grimm come out and really kick ass? I mean, he's in the the thing in Human Torch, but I haven't seen a lot other than them. You know, j- jibber jabbering, and it's like right. he is he. He is like the alpha male who comes in and kicks major ass. But I mean, has anybody said anything exciting about the thing in the last decade or so? Because it's it, they, he's such an underused character, and I think, uh, I, I, think I think it's people, because,
0: You know, for a while they've been pushing the the toxic masculinity thing. You know, well, in, in, in in a lot of social circles, and I think a lot of the a lot of that stuff has invaded. The comic world and it really yeah, doesn't yeah. mesh well with the superhero genre. Well,
1: that's like, like uh, you know,
0: if well, you I tell mean, yeah. a bunch of leftists it's clobbering time, yeah, they're gonna be like, oh, it's toxic yeah. masculinity, all over, <laughs> everything, you well, know like, what I mean? Uh, so, I, I think mean, unless,
1: for, you're, unless you're somebody they uh, uh call a Nazi just because you disagree, but
0: uh, I've been called know. both because I I'm an independent. Yeah. Politically, um, I think both sides are absolutely ridiculous and have lost their godforsaken minds. I agree. <laughs> like, I'm in the middle with, like, the... Remember when this country was about freedom and free thinking? Yeah, and yeah. And you I, fought for things that were real justice and things yeah. that just made you feel bad inside for a second. You, oh, you moved know, on from or ignored.
1: Say it again, I'm sorry. Um,
0: I, was, I was saying, you know, like, back in the day, if something just quote-unquote, offended you, which is the most overused word in this decade yeah. so far.
1: And both sides get offended, too. Like yeah, you said. like
0: you ignored it or you mocked it.
1: or you moved, And you moved
0: on. Right, like, but, like what's a good way to deal with racism? You make blazing saddles where you make everybody look like a stupid <laughs> asshole. And you yeah. laugh about it. Like, yeah, that's ridiculous. Anybody who would think this way about this type of people deserve to be mocked in a movie and laughed at.
1: Well, here's the thing uh, about uh, both sides uh, that bugs the shit out of me is, I mean, you got, uh, you know, the left with CNN and then you have Fox News. It, it, it's the right, but the thing that bugs me is it's wall-to-wall cover. I mean, even before Trump, it's been wall-to-wall talking heads about, about one thing of the day, and I'm thinking, you know, there's real news out there. I mean, I go on the Daily Mail, I go on other websites from other countries, and I'm actually learning stuff right. that's going on, you know, from, you know, like this one country, you know, had a— uh, you know, tsunami or something like that, or just, uh, it's just, there's a lot of stuff in the world that is not being, you know, we're not being served by our media uh, anywhere. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, they've just become gossip rags and people tend to like that kind of stuff. Well, that's, yeah, uh, that's the
0: problem is you have two opposing echo chambers. Yes. And you have these large groups of people who line up in their, you know, the German, what's the German word for fortress or the Yiddish word Uh,
1: for shtetl? I don't know. They line Uh up in
0: their shtetls and they (laughs) lock, shots across each other's belts all day long and yeah, yeah, yeah there's a genocide happening somewhere in the world and, and, and you don't hear about it to either right help right. or to see well give me a that doesn't happen here all yeah. you hear about is like you know well this girl lied about what this dude did and this dude drank beer in college so yeah. you know like I ain't touching that hard. subject <laughs> what did he do back in high school I don't know but this girl should says this and this well this person and you're like yeah do you realize, like, there's real things happening yeah, to
1: yeah. people? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, we don't, I mean, uh, not that we don't need to know, it's just that uh, stuff like, I mean, you know, just going We need wall, to know, we'll but we
0: it. don't need to know what the hell all you people think about it for 24-7. Yeah,
1: that's it, I mean, it's all, <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's all talking heads, because, I mean, it, back in the early days of CNN, they covered a lot of news, but then they had, uh, uh, what's the one that had, give me a second, uh, uh it was a conserve. it was, shoot, it was, ah, I'll give you a moment, I'm having a brain hiccup, uh, uh, Crossfire, you know, which had Pat Buchanan and yeah. some other guy, and it's like that was it you know, for the news. It was like, that was like the one segment of cable news where it would just be, you know, opinion or, you know, uh, trying to inform people on that kind of stuff. And the rest was news. You know, it would talk about other things happening in the country and out of the country. And I, I can't go to either of those, uh, any of those channels for, for actual news. I mean, I get up, read the daily mail. I read some others and I'm like, holy shit. I didn't know, you know, I wouldn't, it's like, I would never heard it, you know, cause it's, not on TV but, uh, but I think people just like the gossipy aspect of everything you know however one feels about the Kavanaugh hearings uh, I think uh, it's just the news uh, channels have they've gone the way of you know the National Enquirer whereas they will really they'll uh, opinion kind of melts into hearsay which may possibly be facts and such like that so uh, I think I yeah, absolutely, absolutely, but uh,
0: but but what's sad anyway. to me is a lot of that has invaded every other form of entertainment, you know. And
1: oh yeah, and
0: yeah. people need to take it with a grain of salt that yeah. Hollywood has always been a little left slanted. You know, well, but just, but if it's uh, something you like, yeah. then you just watch it, and you don't make it a part of your personal lexicon. You watch something well, yeah. to be entertained, and you move the frick on, which is what we used to do with everything. You just watched it, or you didn't. And
1: well, yeah, they, of course, I go to celebrities like Alyssa Milano for my expert advice because she mm-hmm. said they. I don't know why she was on this one channel, and it's like, you know. Who is she? I mean, other than the fact that, you know, she loves guys who, plays ho- who play hockey. Uh, but um, they, it just, um, you know, like the award shows. Like I, I really haven't watched an award show in over 20 years because it, it's all my big thing of it before. I mean, now it's all political. I get that. But, I mean, that's their hang up and, in the, in the, uh, you know, this viewership is down. But my whole thing was uh, if they would have a host – And then they have these stupid, stupid comedy bits that even your grandparents wouldn't laugh at. And then when somebody wins an award, they get uh, played out by the band. It's like, you know, I'd like to thank this. I mean, it's a one in a thousand, one in a million chance to make it in TVs and movies. And it's even tight, you know. A th- slimmer to make it a success and it's even slimmer to win an award so like they're out there thanking everybody that they've sort of met along the way and were encouraging and then all of a sudden you'll hear nah, 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 nah. Yeah, you have 30
0: seconds
1: yeah and then meanwhile you know Billy Crystal's doing these really dumb you know uh, comedy you know or uh, songs and shit like that and right. that always bugs me yeah <laughs> yeah so you don't see that on the Eisner Awards you know
0: <laughs> no so, you don't uh, but I mean
1: yeah.
0: what, what, what sucks to me it, it's I always thought that certain things would be safe. Um, yeah, I always yeah. thought video games would be safe because they're so creative. Right. And and more than that, I always thought comics would be safe from 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 the political crap. Not not yeah. so much issues. I mean, look, you know, if, if you want to tell a story that covers the civil rights, you definitely should the civil rights era or some yeah. major thing like when Marvel did, you know, the the 9/11 yeah. Re- reaction issues and stuff like that that's fine
1: yeah but yeah. when
0: the pc crowd just comes beating down comic books door you just want to yell at them like this has always been the yeah. most diverse forward-thinking medium yeah ever. white well, guys I mean, black guys white women black women asian women purple women green guys like
1: well i mean i i, I mean i loved uh, uh what is it uh Marvel actually had the edge because they had the first, you know... uh black superhero in the Black Panther, and they had the first African-American superhero, Luke Cage. But yeah. even so, they had a lot of, even in, oh, well, heck, go back to Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos in 1963. One of the uh, team members uh, one of the Commandos was black. And what's funny, though, in the printing of the very first issue, uh, somebody at the printing place got skittish, and they made Gabe white. And then by the second issue, I guess Stan or Jack put their foot down and said, no, he's black. And so they settled on some odd gray that I've never seen in my Life, but uh, but anyway, like I, you know, when I it's so funny. Like I'm looking at my bookshelf here, and I'm looking at the Marvel Masterworks that I bought. There's two of them so far uh, of Luke Cage, Power Man. And I I loved that growing up, and I didn't. I just I it was interesting because it sort of gave me a little more of an insight. Uh, I mean, my uh, my friend down the street, the only other guy who was interested in comics. You know, he's black. You know, so that's that's my official like, you know, uh, sidebar saying like, uh, I have black friends. So uh, <laughs> as stupid as it sounds, but not like, it I also stupid? Recently, I remember
0: as a kid, it yeah. didn't frickin' matter. Yeah, yeah. It and
1: really well, didn't. also, well, also, I I read Ms. Marvel growing up, and I really enjoyed it. And and they actually wrote her very well, as far as. You know, she was from the Air Force, and she couldn't. Her dad did not. He was kind of a chauvinist. He wanted the he wanted the brother to go to college, and she couldn't afford to go to college, so she joined and uh, uh, got in the Air Force. And so she's already been established that way. And it's odd that they're sort of mentioning it a lot lately because. Uh, I mean, somebody must not be paying attention to her history, because she always had a strong history. Uh, but um, uh, like uh, the movie pre- uh, trailer, that sucked. I was so shocked. It was just like, did they put any energy into this? Because like with Black Panther, I, you know, I loved it, you know, and it's like, uh, and that was just, I mean, that just blew my mind. I felt like I was one of the members of Fantastic Four stepping into Wakanda. And then, uh, but with Captain Marvel, and I know they're sort of going for a 90s feel because they had Blockbuster, and you're going to have Ronin, and you're going to have some other, oh, you know, a young Sam Jackson. Uh, but uh, um, I just don't – well, I mean, it's a prequel. I mean, well, it's like, uh, you know, when Ant-Man – the original Ant Man, Henry Pym, which was Michael Douglas. Yeah. You know he. Yeah, they show. I mean, I totally get that. I even had Asian Carter in there too. You know. And right. But, uh, I
0: mean, that was I, like a bit part of the movie talked about. You know, the Pym particle. Yeah, you know, the suit's been used before, and da da da. This is like well, the uh, yeah, movie's going to be set. How long before they establish the Marvel Cinematic Universe? And it has never come up before. Oh, you know that is an excellent That's point there.
1: That's my I see, I see, because you know what, my whole thing was, I thought, you know, if they play some cool 90 tunes, and, you know, kind of like do a, you know, a cool soundtrack like the Guardians movies, but uh, until you said that, I was like, oh shit, so maybe I'm thinking Nick Fury's the only one who knows who she is, because he, you know, he hit that button at the end of, uh, I gotta say, anyway, he,
0: he wouldn't have introduced any, I'm building the Avengers initiative, he said over the course of like, Five movies to a bunch of different characters he put together. The cosmic uh, chick with the badass powers he just forgot to mention <laughs> until yeah. half the universe gets erased by Thanos, and then he's like, "Oh yeah, there's that really badass chick we could use." You know, that's an excellent point. That's, <laughs> like that's, that's, that's kind of like setting it in the nineties. What the yeah. heck? It's too late yeah. now.
1: Yeah, I mean, also he. uh, I mean, I'm thinking, oh. You know maybe she was gone and he thought she was dead out in space forever but he maybe contacted but but oh uh, yeah, but the only problem is at the end of the you know the movie he contacted had the little symbol the Captain Marvel symbol on there, oh, so right. that so that means, that means he could have done that any time, and a good time would have been the first Avengers movie, you know when you had those you know really cool like uh, metal serpentine critters flying around New York City, you know it's like I mean that had a very strong end of the world look to it, and uh, Tony Stark almost <laughs> yeah. died, so you you'd think he'd have summoned uh, you know contacted Captain Marvel before that so. So that's an excellent point. Yeah, I'm
0: pretty sure the first time Norse gods started dropping out of the freaking sky, he would have been like, hey.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. we got but, uh, Tony
0: Stark, who's non-committal and is just a dude in a suit. I've got freaking Norse gods dropping. Maybe I'll go with – because they hadn't found Captain America yet at that point. Yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? So it's like continuity-wise, it's like, what? Hmm. Sure, great. We might get a really cool Stabbing Westward song and Toad the Wet Sprocket will probably play at some point, but <laughs> I mean, I can yeah. get Pandora for that. I don't need them to make a movie that's completely out of this universe's tone for the past uh, 12 years of movie making to just suddenly be like, oh yeah, and then this happened in the 90s, but you know, nobody talks about it now.
1: The first song that comes to mind to me would be the, the one hit by Elastica. Uh, it goes connection. Uh, na, 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 bo- uh, yeah, they use that like. for
0: hackers.
1: Uh, oh, I saw. I heard that song used for a like a Coors Light commercial in the nineties. <laughs> <those guys>. it <laughs> I had like the silver bullet Yeah,
0: that was yeah. A but, uh, movie.
1: Yeah, it's so funny because uh, I, uh, I mean, I'm finding new indie bands now that I love, but. I'm finding myself going back to bands that I really took for granted because, I mean, uh, I probably posted this on my Facebook page, but it's uh, they've they've distilled what makes a hit song. They've actually figured out the beats, the bass lines, the repetitious, uh, and just certain notes to where uh, they can actually put out a guaranteed hit. You know, and it's like just how. Yeah. And, if, and it, you know, it's funny is like uh, with country music now, it's like the modern country is really just real mellow rock or just I w- one time I was somewhere and I was uh, uh, the TV was on. I wasn't really paying attention. I was at uh, a cousin's house or something like that. And they had to go take a shower or something like that. But they had like the country music uh, version of MTV on. And it was like a half hour, and I'm looking at my phone, and they had all these videos, you know, of songs uh, like MTV used to have, and every one of those New Country people looked like models. I mean, the guys were, like, super hunky. The women were super hot. And I'm just like, oh, that's why the New Country's taken off so much. Yeah, uh, it ain't Waylon uh,
0: Jennings anymore.
1: Oh, no, I love Waylon now Jennings. It's, yeah. What I'm
0: saying is now it's Pretty Boy Floyd, and I guarantee yep. that at some point in that song there's going to be a Maybe that's like but, the, new, uh, the new country crossover. Is like, let's take a bunch of pretty boys, put them in jeans that have never actually touched dirt and boots that have fine. never actually saddled. You know, <laughs> sat in the stirrups. Yeah. And in the middle of the song, they're gonna rip.
1: Yeah. Oh, while we're talking about country, hold on a second. Here's my imitation of uh, horse clopping. Okay, There you go. Here. <laughs> Could you hear that? Yeah, it was pretty good. That that's the top of a uh, that's a cap off of a Dasani water bottle, and I put it in my mouth and I tap it onto my teeth. <laughs> nice. Uh, oh, it's your uh, coconuts. A lot, a lot of uh, you know, I, 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 I uncover great mysteries by being home all day.
0: <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that.
1: <sighs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> but no, like so, it's gonna take. Ugh. and and they're doing the scrolls in this, right? Man, they, they looked horrible.
1: They're all like, they're all dressed like they're going clubbing, you know? It's like, they should all have the same uniform, just like the Kree do. And because the Skrulls always dress the same, except, well, I mean, even the Super Skrull, except his uh, shoulders flared out. And, uh, but I mean, that kind of bugged me. And they just weren't, uh, I don't know.
0: So I don't is know, that going to just... be like the next arc, like when they're done with the Thanos thing and they're introducing, introducing the Skrulls here?
1: Somebody suggested that maybe possibly I don't know one of the Avengers that has already been shown has been a scroll for a while. Oh, and I reason. I well, you know what though I like it, you know what I mean, I you know I know it may not be everybody's cup, cup of tea, but I would kind of like that because uh, I mean if it all depend on who the character was, you know it's like and uh, that's
0: what I mean like some of the deeper comic stuff they don't get, right? like if that was coming out in a book, I'd be comfortable with it.
1: But, yeah. And the Russos yeah. have
0: done a great job.
1: With, oh yeah. With this stuff. I yeah. mean but Yeah, it's I'm just of... trying
0: to think like with the movie audience not knowing any of this stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it's like what when you and I were texting earlier, we were talking about, you know, the DCEU. like Batman v. Superman. Yeah. Okay, you can't take the Dark Knight Rises and the Death of Superman storyline with no Justice League yet. Um, yeah, and yeah. no, yeah, um, and just throw so told, Doomsday in that looked like a troll from the first Harry Potter movie, um, right? For a CG, because right. what the hell DC? You couldn't afford good CG on that thing. Um,
1: yeah, I, I actually, yeah, I told you that I, I, skipped, I just stopped watching halfway through. Was oh my god, on, like uh, if this
0: is for a movie audience and this is their introduction to the DC EU, uh, you can't throw mother boxes. Boom yeah. tubes and parademons at people. Oh,
1: you know what? I didn't mind, it except Darkseid wasn't there, and he's the whole. Uh, I mean, like getting what's his name Steppenwolf as the main villain. It's so. Uh, I mean, I forgot about him, you know. Right. And I've you know, and it's just like it's such a crappy villain to put up, and he really. I I saw a little bit of it the other day on cable. I was just surfing, and I saw when Steppenwolf comes along, and he his mannerism. And his tone and the way he moved, he had this big, he looked, he was exactly like Ronan from Guardians of the oh, Galaxy. Oh, yeah, he a complete you know?
0: spiff on, on Ronan.
1: Totally, Giant totally. Yeah,
0: really with, a long, you know, with a long, you know. You didn't even seem menacing. Yeah, and,
1: yeah, and it's just like, like you know, Ronin. You know, that's really how it came across, you know, and, uh, but it's so funny is I didn't even get to the part in Superman versus Batman when Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman showed up because everyone told me, I mean, everyone had said she's the reason to watch she the movie, but the movie I, and, that's legitimate. I, and I, and I, I couldn't make it that far. But then when I saw the Wonder Woman movie, I was like, this is fantastic because I have never liked Wonder Woman because she always seems kind of humorless and, you know, stayed. I mean, she made, she made Clark Kent look like a party animal yeah. and, uh, but uh, you know, and and, uh, but I'll, and I told you this before, it's like uh, Justice League. Uh, what's his name? Bruce Wayne and Batman, they're all, he's so friggin' weepy about, oh, Superman represented hope. I was like, yeah, well, you try to kill him, you stupid son of a bitch. Right. It's like, uh, it's like, you know, he he was hating on him all the time. And then it just didn't ring true. It's like, then he was like saying Superman was the best among us. And I'm like, what? It's like, uh, Batman, you always think you're the best. Yeah, but that, among That's us, also you know? the
0: same Batman who at the end of Batman V Superman unloads his Batmobile and just kills the shit out of everybody. I didn't
1: see that. But yeah, dude,
0: he is, he's like murder Batman in that. And I, that's not that that's an instant disconnect for me. Well, I was like oh, man of steel. I never watched it the moment.
1: I heard, well, for one thing, I didn't like the urine stain colored video. I mean, the preview, you know, it was like all blurry and murky. And, uh, you know, I hate this. I mean, uh, it, Christopher Reeve casts a very heavy shadow. I mean, that whole bright, hopeful Superman, oh. uh, it just, uh, I mean, they, they almost did it with Brandon Ruth, who I thought was a great looking Superman, but the story was a turd and uh, it was completely nonsensical. Uh, but it's just like, you know, it's like, what they should have th- just like in The Dark Knight Returns, when they had Superman versus Batman, you have the dark. Uh, uh, scenes with Batman, and then you see the sun come out where Superman usually is, and that's exactly how Miller played it. Right. And uh, but they, they 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 made everything dark, and you know there was these deep shadows on Henry Cavill, and he looked kind of like a thug. And uh, I just thought, you know, th- I don't see him as Superman. They, they're switching him, and I'm kind of glad everybody seems to love him except me. I'm like the one holdout who doesn't like Henry Cavill as see, I Superman. I do.
0: I like him just because he looks. But we're never going to get another. Oh, of course. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, to be Superman. Yeah. But Cavill at least looks like he could have come off the page. Maybe. And, I, and I Man of Steel, it took was... a couple times, but that movie actually grew on me. Yeah. It wasn't at first. Well, I... um, when he killed Zod, I was pretty much out. And I've talked to some people since then. And, you know, you rewatch it, and I kind of understand why they went with that. But, yeah. but it's like I was telling you is the reason why it's like that is because Zack Snyder's like stuck on Watchmen. Excuse
1: me. You know, Watchmen
0: theme with the sucker punch aesthetic where it's got to be all this super fancy, you know, cuts and lens flares and this and that. But then at the same time, he can only write heroes like Watchmen, which is basically just Uh, a giant story about how much it sucks. Uh,
1: But going back to Watchmen, uh, I mean,. Uh, the talent that they have on Doomsday Clock is neat and all, but I don't. I mean, Alan Moore never. I haven't read it. He intended it. He intended it as a close the book. You know, it's finished right. and it's like. And I just don't like any of the uh, follow up. But I, I know it's cash. I mean, you know, it means money. But uh, I, the only thing I actually I broke down and bought the Darwin Cook one with the Midnight Men. Like I mean, because Darwin Cook was just a genius, and I liked that. But I didn't buy any of the others. And uh, but I mostly because Darwin wrote Andrew, it's so... Uh, uh, and, and uh, But it's just like Watchmen, it's like, uh, I, I don't know, they're just kind of... It's almost like when they brought back all these years, you know, they wanted the Dark Knight with Batman, and all of a sudden, they're embracing the TV show so they can sell a lot more toys and a lot more this, and, you know, uh, all these things, statues and that, and it's uh, sort of the same with uh, Watchmen. It's like, you know, well, we can milk this, you know, some more... But uh, anyway, but
0: uh, yeah. yeah, I haven't read any of the Doomsday Clock stuff. I still buy, I, I do get Mr. Miracle.
1: Uh-huh. I hear that's good.
0: I like Tom King a lot. Um, him and Brian Edward Hill
1: uh-huh.
0: are maybe the two people that are still at DC that I'll actually buy a book if their name's on it, quite honestly.
1: Uh, uh, I'll check it out.
0: Tom King's Batman run is amazing.
1: Oh, okay, um, cool.
0: you want to talk cliffhangers, and real story that actually just gets down to the meat of the character in these characters have been loved for, what, 77 years now, 75 years? Yeah. Um, he writes them like that. Uh, there's no modern-day stuff in any of the Batman. It is just a Batman-y is Batman you can read. And the yeah. stories are really good. If you like Bane kind of stuff, um, he, he he does chapters. So they do end on cliffhangers. He does self-contained yeah. stories. It's not like one huge long arc that just drags on and on and on. He actually names the mini story you're reading in his continuous run. Nice. Yeah, like, nice. It's the old school stuff. So it'll be like, you know, like, uh, what well, I mean, I have it in individual copies and I have it in trade, like a death in the family. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, does yeah. It like that. So it'll be like um, he did one he did with one. Bane. Um, this crazy, got super dark story. And, and the first one you got was this, you know, this chapter title, part one of five. And then yeah. you get parts, you know what I mean? And then it, it wraps in five. And then that ends with the next thing that's going to happen. Something crazy will happen. And then the next four to five issues are that story arc. Oh, that's so like excellent. right now he's doing one. um, And the first issue of, of the new story arc. Ends with Dick Grayson in Nightwing uniform getting shot through the head by KG Beast.
1: Oh man. Right, man, and that was cool.
0: the last panel. No words, no nothing. You're like reading yeah. and he's uh, wrapping up this, this this last chapter arc. And he's got Nightwing helping him and you're like, oh okay, so and then the, the last panel of the book was a page wide and it was just Nightwing taking a bullet through the head.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> and the whole thing
0: is, he's teasing KG Beast. He just never says his name. This one handed Russian uh, guy shows up in Gotham, finds yeah. a seedy arms dealer, buys the. You know what I mean? But, like, there's all yeah. this other stuff going on. So you're. It's tricky because you're more paying attention because he's finishing up a thing with Batman. He's finishing up this Mr. Free story he's been telling. That's absolutely crazy. That was like cool. four or five issues. Yeah. So, Tom King, what he's doing, it's what. I grew up reading that style and the artists he gets are pretty consistent. Like he, they don't change artists on him a lot. So you can settle into the art style and you already trust the writing. You know what I mean? So yeah. you can get into it. But yeah, like the second issue of that came out and he didn't even really address what happened. So the whole Dick Grayson thing's like still in the wind, even though he's told the next part of that chapter arc, it just ended yeah. with Dick Grayson taking a bullet to the head. Yeah, I like that. Well, you yeah, know, let it hang for a little bit. Yeah, you know, exactly. He lets it breathe. Like uh-huh. you have time to really. I, they, holy crap! Did he you just killed. He'd be pretty good. Yeah, he'd
1: be pretty good on like I like to see him on some Marvel stuff too. His vision know, run. The
0: thing he did uh-huh. with vision. Oh.
1: Uh, what I was going to say real quick, and I don't really want to get into politics yeah. uh, much more, but uh, the thing is, uh, I mean, with Captain America, they seem to like focus, like, whoever the new writer is, they'll go back into politics. But you know what? The be- One of the best runs ever, and the reason there was Captain America movies, was the Ed Brubaker, uh, Steve Epting run, and that was more like a uh, suspense thriller Uh, you know, international like James Bond kind of story, you know, and uh, they didn't go, they didn't drag it into like uh, politics. They just told a real exciting story. And, uh, you know, Cap was there with Sharon and, uh, you know, uh, everybody else. And, uh, you know, that winter soldier was just a brilliant thing uh, because and again, it's like they didn't have to uh, stop, every, you know, put up a stop sign and say, "Hey, you know, this political blah blah blah." And, uh, and and you know, Ed Brubaker is you know extremely liberal, but he, I mean, I met him and he's an awesome guy. You know, it's like you know, I have friends of all stripes. You know, and it's like, too, yeah. but he, but I mean, he, uh, but I mean, he wrote Captain America the way it should have been for a long, long time. And uh, and uh, it's funny though because me and Scott Eaton and the Robert Kirkman before he became the Robert Kirkman in all caps, oh God, we did a four shoot. It. Uh, well I, I actually I just worked with him actually I, I never really made a contact but yeah. uh, Scott Eaton penciled it and I inked it and uh, uh, what happened was uh, Robert Kirkman it was on four four issue stories that was going to stop because the next issue was going to be uh, Brubaker and Epting and, uh, and what pissed me off is our first issue came out and uh, they already then they announced that uh, brew Baker and Epting was going to take over and I was like, thanks, guys. you just killed the sales on four issues that we're doing because they're gonna be like, oh, we'll wait till the next group comes along, you know but uh and like, like I said Kirkman was not the walking dead yet right. he was still just another guy who was doing you know uh, off you know books that weren't selling that well and uh, but he decided to and what I loved about the the cap run was he decided uh, uh, he decided to not Cap, but it was Kirkman who decided to bring back all the characters he loved from, like, Tales of the Spence. He had, like, you know, and he had uh, Hydra. He had uh, the Red Skull, and he had the Serpent Society, which I just love, because uh, from Mark uh, Grunewald's, like, 100-issue run of Cap, uh, which, as I love that, you know, Marvel's reprinting Mark Grunewald's huge run on uh in the epic collection of captain america and those are just you get a lot of story for your money there and uh so that's that's sort of what kirkman did and and that like and you know when uh epting and uh i actually i'm really good friends with steve epting because we knew each other from cross gen you know that was cool that was yeah uh, uh, it, you know i was really frustrated with cross gen the way it was run but i made some really good friends there so in the long run i, I it was a good thing you know yeah so I know I mean, but, like, I mean, like, Mike Perkins is a great guy. I see him at a show, and it's like we're old war buddies. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it was just a whole, I just made a whole bunch of new friends, you know. If I'll see Jimmy Chung or John Dell or, uh, you know, and, like, and that's sort of how I ended up with, working with Scott Eaton is because we knew each other, and he liked my work when I was working with Greg Land. And then uh, later on, Carl Moline, who did Route 666 and some other stuff. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it was interesting so comics is a a crazy business it really is that amazes me i like i taught a a weekend workshop with walt louise walt and louise simonson brian stillfree and uh somebody else and it was at the savannah college of art and design and that's back when it was only in savannah now they moved it up to atlanta yeah they got uh, one
0: in atlanta but you were at the, the actual scad scad
1: yeah, yeah. Before they had the one up here, and uh, but uh, it's so funny because I, I told them the ugly truth. I mean, you know, these are young hopefuls, and I said, well, I start off basically saying that like the history of comics is littered with alcoholism and divorce, and then I <laughs> so may, maybe not my best opening line, but I also said, now what you got to understand is, mate, I gave him like the uh, Arlie Army kind of uh, speech. I said. I said maybe maybe ten percent of you in this room will make it as a comic book artist uh, of. Oh, I said actually maybe five percent. You know, and I said you got to look to the person to the right of you, to the left of you, the front and behind you, and they're your competition. They're not just your friends; they're the competition. Right. You know, and uh, you know, so you got to kind of keep things to the vest. I mean, nothing, nothing wrong with sharing certain things. It's just that uh, I've dealt with the occasional freelancer who has tried to steal jobs from under me you know like they'd be like hey how you doing you know what's your who's your editor blah blah, blah, blah. And yeah then, you know yeah there's a guy from the 90s i'm not going to mention but he's uh he was really bad about like uh uh eating uh what do you call it? delving into e- information from other people and then stealing work from them and that's crappy. just not right yeah that, that's just hateful i mean it's just uh you know i mean like if i find stuff so, like It's so funny, like, I mean, I'm pals with, like, Butch Geist and a whole bunch of other guys, and, uh, and, but it's like, I don't get the, you know, I would have thought, you know, uh, maybe that gives me, like, an automatic, I could ink them someday, or, you know, on a a new book, but Butch is inking himself, and that's fine, and Mike is inking himself, and, and now Epting is inking himself, so it's sort of like a... Uh, just like with Howard Porter I don't you know I don't get flustered at them it's just that uh I'm just grateful that I did inking for so many years you know and I still do a lot of commissions but uh uh but it's like Marvel especially I, went, I was at the Marvel offices about two years ago maybe three and uh uh you know I met you know this young fresh-faced assistant editor you know a nice uh, he he handed me a, a huge wad of Spider-Man books. I'm talking like a dozen books, which is another thing. It's thinning out the, it thins out this the specialty of Spider-Man and it thins out the talent pool. Uh, so I looked at it. None of the comics had an inker credit in it. It would just say, you know, uh, artist, color artist. So I was just like, oh, okay, that's how it is. <laughs> wow. But uh, but I mean, since then I've done some stuff for Marvel. it's just that it's. It, uh, what I don't like is I have, it's almost like starting over again because it's a whole new crew of editors. And, uh, it's it, so it's like they may not know me. And, uh, so I have to kind of reintroduce myself again. Right. And, uh, it's, it, it's very odd because I don't like that. It's like, and you know, I sound entitled, you know, that's not right. But I also feel like, uh, I've got a body of work that kind of speaks for itself. You well, that's know?
0: just it. Like, I mean, look at your resume. I mean, it's, yeah, Things may have changed in the industry, but what you've been able to do and who you've worked with doesn't change at all. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, I mean, like. oh, well, I find myself doing a lot more commercial art now, just by, only because somebody was, like, a fan of stuff I've done. Like, I'm doing one project that I can't talk about that actually has to do with, um, it has to do with the armed forces, oddly enough. And I really can't tell you until oh. it comes out. But it's like they wanted me to do a comic book sort of. Like a, a layout for like a, you know, remember like Boys Life magazine with this Cub Scouts and yeah. they have like one page where they teach you about something, you know. It, it's going to be like that, but it's going to be for the armed forces. And uh, and I was just really thrilled that the guy got in touch with me. And uh, then uh, there was other guy I did. A lay, I did a superhero. I created a superhero for a... Uh, ID protection website like like LifeLock, but it wasn't LifeLock. But uh, apparently other people are getting into the game. So and I created the superhero form, and I really wanted to post it, but I thought, well, they own it. You know, they you know we did a buyout. Like originally they just wanted me to do it on regular, uh, you know, on the cheap, and I said, well, I'm creating this new character and you know if it becomes real popular it's like you know uh, i don't like to give my stuff away if, if i originated i said well I, I said well we should arrange a buyout you know so i came up with a certain uh figure and they didn't hesitate so that was kind of cool and uh so i did the character and they you know had a lot of revisions and that's fine because that's you know it, i'm doing it for them and i'm contracted to do it and uh and and then finally it all went well and I got you know what was great too is I got uh, Disney does this too if, if uh, anytime I, I'd worked with Disney uh, children's books like Little Brown they they pay you half up front and then half on the back end which is awesome because you don't have to worry about money you know and uh, right. So I created this really cool character. He's sort of like the Punisher, but he's also sort of a cyborg kind of thing. And uh, and I, I even tried to contact the guy who hired me like a year ago, and he's not there anymore. And I, I did some a search for the company, and they got bought out by a bigger company. And I don't know if they ever used the character because, you know, a lot of times, you know, when there's a new uh, you know new sheriff in town, they just kind of shit can what
0: some yeah, people... Yeah, they scrap the whole thing come, and take over it, yeah.
1: So, so it's like, I don't even know if I could use them for myself. <laughs> so uh, and, and I'm sure if I called them, they would be like, why are you bothering us? We don't know what you're talking about. So, uh, but it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I kind of, you know, like people were like, uh, you know, I, I would love to be on a monthly book, but I know it's not feasible. In fact, hardly anybody goes on a monthly book on a regular basis. I mean, it's, uh, I've mean, heard know, that do... from a
0: couple artists that, yeah, like it's, it's almost like piecemeal for all the art in the industry now.
1: Yeah, that a yeah, writer right? will
0: get signed to a book, but they'll have a new artist because I've talked to writers and artists. I mean, you've seen the guest list. We talked our ours, right? Well, I mean, you yeah, talk- they, they say the same yeah. thing. They're like, you know, I'll I'll get on a book and then I'll be off at a different month. And then I'll talk to writers who are like, I've got a new artist every one to two issues. They bring in some. And it's like uh, it's on a rotation.
1: I, I'm sure I'm sure Ron's probably said something like he'd have to adjust his
0: story to the artist, right? Yeah. Yeah, Until the Ominous Press stuff, because he works. um, Oh, that's right. Yeah, because he's got got Andy Smith, who's also been on the show a bunch. I've actually talked to both of them. They're coming on in November, because they're doing a bunch of con Uh, stuff this month. Cool. Yeah, I'll have Ron and Andy Smith, and I'm still waiting for getting Bart Sears on there. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Andy, I know for a long time, you know, since Crossgen. I mean, we went out to, you know, the four of us, our wives and uh, us would go out. We actually saw Spider-Man, the very first Spider-Man in 2002. And I tell you what, I mean, I usually, I usually go to matinees on Fridays because I don't, if I'm watching a superhero movie, I want, you know, total, uh, you know, my, my mind totally focused on that. I don't want to see a bunch of friggin' phones everywhere light up. And uh, so I'll, I'll go, like, to the Matt Name. Surprisingly, there's hardly anybody in the theaters uh, on, a, you know, Friday morning, and I, that gives me that intimacy. But when the first Spider-Man movie came out, me and Andy Smith and his wife Helen, my wife Karen, we went to see Spider-Man opening night, and it was amazing it was like a rock concert i mean everyone was just like "Ah!" i mean like before the movie started and uh and there was even like a frisbee or some balloons going around and stuff like that in this uh, big theater and uh because you know it was spider-man a very first (laughs) spider-man movie and which i still love and uh uh it's but and it's like uh, but then everybody knew like the hush down as the movie started. Like when they saw Stanley and Steve Ditko on the credits, everyone roared like an approval like ah oh,
0: and then that's this, awesome.
1: and it was just like the wildest movie experience I've ever had in my life and I just remember uh, I don't know, it was just cool. It was just cool. So I don't know why I just detracted from that. But
0: um, Well you gotta figure the you know, I mean that was the first that was the first big Triple A in a long time. I'm pretty sure the only people Going to that at first were people like us, and <laughs> like, yeah, they're like, yeah. holy crap, they're, they're treating it seriously, it's actually gonna look good. It's, yeah, so, yeah um, I'm sure that's why you got that experience. Now it's, you know, everybody goes to see all the superhero movies. And... Well, yeah, like the first X Men
1: movie was quite excellent, but it's like, I don't, I mean everyone knows who spider-man is so it's like that was like a, yeah. very much an event and it's like uh, x-men did do well and uh brian singer did a great job on it and you know yeah. it, the whole thing but uh i, I haven't really seen much of his stuff since I didn't but, like the uh,
0: first one i like the second
1: oh uh, uh, you know the only thing i hated was Halle berry i mean she was just there stunt casting it's like she's she's an awful actress and her I dialogue think. Was, uh,
0: which is not her, her fault you know like Right, right. Kind of like mm-hmm. how Catwoman is just an abomination, but she didn't write it; she just agreed to be right. in it, you know. But
1: yeah, yeah.
0: When she's I mean, got she's... Toad, and the do you know what happens when a Toad gets struck by lightning? It's like the worst Ugh. line in yeah. any movie ever. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The same I mean, just... thing as everything else, and you're like, then why even talk? Right, like you didn't right. even have yeah. a clever quip to to finish it on.
1: But also, she's supposed to be like a goddess, you know, from some African nation. And it's like uh, always has great dialogue. Yeah. yeah, She's always been like the most cerebral, I think, of the group. And she's always been uh, she just has a bearing about her. And it's like Halle Berry just didn't. She was just another person. You know, yeah. in there. So uh, that was the only thing I didn't like, you know. But I, I, gotta give up to Hugh Jackman, even though I haven't seen, I've not seen all the Wolverine or X Men movies. I mean, good lord, he gave his whole career to Wolverine. I admire the hell out of that, you he know.
0: Did.
1: Like he did like a ton of movies. And I mean,
0: I uh, if you haven't seen Logan, I saw it. Okay, that's you don't need to see X Men Origins, right? Um, that is. Ugh. And then the one where the one where they tried to do the, the mean, Lady Deathstrike, Silver Samurai storyline. You be block crappy. It's
1: okay. You know what? I Logan was block crappy with me. I I stopped halfway through because it just dragged, and, and I have a lot of patience. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll watch. Uh, you know, uh, I I watch a lot of movies that, you know, not much is going on, but uh, oh, like. I love Lost in Translation with Bill Murray. I mean, hardly anything happens, but it's so engaging, right? And it's so good. But Logan was like that, but it was just kind of like him driving around the desert and he, you know trying to keep Professor X from, you know, his mind, you know, blowing everybody away and stuff like that. But it just went on so long, and uh, it just looked like a TV movie from the seventies, where you know you just they would have cars driving around car wrecks or just stuff like that, and it just didn't really. Uh, I don't know what they did there. They just I guess they thought enough comic fans were just accepted on on the surface but I thought it sucked.
0: <laughs> see I mean I liked it but I only you know I watched it in the theaters and I've never had the desire to
1: Yeah, see that's to a, watch that's it ever again,
0: was... right? Yeah, it's not like something see, where every once in a while I'm like, "Oh, I really need to
1: See that to me is like a C minus movie, right. you know, because uh, and that's how I feel about Justice League. Because I only saw oh no no no, I feel that way about Thor Ragnarok actually, because it was so it was so stupid. Because uh, it's like Ragnarok supposed to be the biggest epic in Norse. It's the mythology apocalypse ever. for God's sake yes and it's like it's like the end days and they just joked through the whole thing like it was like and they said it was going to be like a buddy comedy and i winced when they said that and uh and there was just some there's like at the end is like busy destroying asgard and they're flying away and the big rock guy's kind of saying no, we can rebuild on the foundation and then it falls apart and he goes or not and i'm just like
0: oh
1: and then you uh, know why I i think I think it made it more kid-friendly, probably. It made
0: it more kid-friendly, but I think the Guardians franchise has been so popular with uh-huh. the comic crowd, for some reason, and the non-comic crowd, that I think it was an attempt at capturing whatever oh. makes Guardians so yeah. friggin' successful. Yeah, uh, and he failed miserably. <laughs> movie-wise, you but, know? But I think, I think that's yeah. why... I mean, if you look... A lot of the beats are very Guardians of the Galaxy. All the comedy beats yeah. are basically aping yeah. what James Gunn does with those movies. Yeah. You
1: know, and I love Jeff Goldblum, but he was totally miscast because Jeff Goldblum plays Jeff Goldblum in everything he's ever been in. Right? You know, and, uh, you know, and he just, and also they said that he really, uh, he, uh, when he he kind of made up some of the dialogue as he went along. He improvised. And it really sounds that way. It just sounds too cute. And, you know, Thor was, like, freaking out. And I'm like, when he, when he went through some kind of time tunnel, speed tunnel. And I'm like, you know, you're, you've fought, you fought, you know, frost giants and shit. You know, it's like, you know, you just got a little, uh, you know, I don't know, a spirograph thing.
0: Right. Yeah, out. and like, the whole, like...
1: Oh my God! When that guy got killed next to him, yeah, and like, then begging, I don't see, see Thor saying "Don't cut yeah. my hair." Yeah, you're
0: yeah. Like what yeah. the hell?
1: Like he should have said, he should have said, "You'll pay dearly for this" or something like that, where it's you know they made him like a pussy, right? You know? Yeah, and it's, it's like, like a
0: petulant child.
1: Yes, and, uh, and I was just like, you know, I mean, I sure the geek in me would love to have him say, you know, by the bristling beard of Odin and myself, but uh, I mean, but you know, saying, oh my god! I'm like, you know, what is this, Austin
0: Powers? You know, oh my god! Right. And uh, Yeah, yeah, it, so just, uh, yeah, it, it had broke. a lot of beats that fell flat, but I think it's because I mean, they're telling the freaking Infinity Gauntlet story, and they had a bunch of that Guardians of the Galaxy jackassery in that, too. And yeah. not just yeah, the yeah. Guardians characters. I, I think they're they gotta watch out that You know, yeah, people love Guardians of the Galaxy. It makes everybody laugh. I am Groot splashed all over everything. You know, you got yogurt from Spaceballs talking about merchandising, merchandising. You know, (laughs) the yogurt flamethrower. The kids love it. Um, (laughs) They got to watch out for that rut because if you actually talk to like people who actually love this stuff, Winter Soldier is like everybody's favorite movie.
1: Really, I didn't know that. That's a lot of
0: people, yeah, a lot of people to be like, yeah, I have all the Marvel movies. Winter Soldier's my favorite, but I love da 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 da. Yeah. It didn't have any of that Guardians Jackassery in it. Yeah, yeah so yeah. don't well, that's trade hard. what was really great for yeah movie tickets and T-shirts. Which look, they're businesses. I get it. Yeah. yeah. But like, but, I don't want to lose the, the the depth of everything to.
1: See, that's a problem. It's like me and you as fans, but it's like a lot of guys. I mean, there's fangirls as well, but it's mostly fanboys that, you know, will have something uh, for our girlfriends or our wives to see too, and they, you know, that'll make it more palatable to them. And that's why half the time the superheroes don't have their helmets on. I was just talking to West Talander about this yesterday after the convention, and uh, uh, he said that drives him nuts. That, you know, they'll be in a battlefield, and Steve Rogers will take his helmet off, like he did in the first movie, Avengers movie. Uh, and I'm just like, I'm just like, you know, wait till a, you know, a girder hits you in the head. You know, it's like, you know, keep your safety helmet on. You know, and and. Uh, you know, just like, uh, you know, I just, I, I don't want to explain it, but yeah, they do that a lot. And I think that's because, you know, we grew up with guys wearing masks that cover their whole head and stuff like that. But, you know, I can see it being off putting to women because then it's more of a serious superhero thing. But, you know, you know, they got really cool looking dudes like, you know, Hemsworth and Evans, and all those other guys. And so, you know, a little something for the ladies. You right. Know? Yeah. To i really get that, that. Too, but
0: yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. How often Robert Downey Jr. takes the mask off while he's in the Iron Man outfit?
1: Yes, yes. Um, like, uh, one you need to like, know he's
0: in there. You need to know he's in there. It's like, yeah, everybody knows who the frick is in there. Every time he talks, right. it's unmistakable right. who is in the suit.
1: You know it's funny? The, the, I think where the zaniness started kicking in was Iron Man 3. That's the that's one Shane Black directed, and I really miss Jon Favreau because a lot of people – Are hating on the second Iron Man movie, and I loved it. One with Whiplash. Yeah, what was wrong? I don't know. A lot of people bag on it, and they say, but I mean, Iron Man three. That started off well, but the second half to me was dreadful because all of a sudden it turned into a Nicolas Cage movie. It's like uh, uh, Peppers hanging from a catwalk and there's a fire underneath. It's like, how many friggin' times have you seen that in a Nicolas Cage movie in the 90s? And uh, uh, my voice is getting louder. right? Uh, and, it feels uh, like my skull's it, on fire, but I'm good. <laughs> yeah, and then then it got like really crazy acrobatics. It's like you know, like roadie's like you know jumping onto uh, you know he's like swinging from one contraption to another, and then you know Tony jumps on an empty suit and gets to wear it, and, and then it had the other thing that really pisses me off, like at the end where uh, it was where I can't think of his name, Guy Pierce, you know whatever his real name was. Uh, you know, he got blasted, you know, he disappeared, he got blasted, and just like in Terminator 2, he kept coming back, kept yeah. coming back. But I mean, Terminator 2 established that sort of milieu, or metnier or however you say it in French, And uh, but it's like, it's been done so much in a lot of action movies, and in iron man three i hated that because here's my thing trying attempting to be logistic about you know friggin' superhero movies but uh because they they do sort of have a cohesive some stuff that's supposed to make sense and they've actually uh i'm sidebarring here where uh you start creating Ultron I had no problem with that because I hated that hand pinned did it because back in, in those days in the 60s if you were a scientist you you know you minored in electronics if you were a biochemist and that makes no sense right so so I liked I liked that he was created by stark and I, I thought that's a perfect for the movie but anyway Iron Man 3 uh, you know Guy Pierce's character kept getting blasted smithereens kept getting blasted smithereens and then at the very end uh, uh, when he, it's like the seventh time he got blasted smithereens that he was gone and I'm like why you know why that seventh time did it work you know so uh, it, it was what so was unsatisfying it, what was it called
0: the extremis
1: yeah it, it came yeah. off of that uh, yeah what's his name Warren Ellis uh, and uh, Addie Graf uh, did that run I think Something like that. now Pepper uh,
0: Potts is badass.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was just ridiculous, though. I tell you what, I really miss uh, the TV show Agent Carter. I love that movie. I never watched the show. You know what's cool, though? It's like she, like the last few episodes, they really got into like the Marvel. Uh, actually, it was how can i put it it was like a good bbc show i mean uh it, it was uh, uh what was cool is you know she could kick ass and all that but it was also other things that yeah you know, from 1946 that are relatable and that and she's not perfect and either you know she's also getting a little sex and because back then the women in the office were still kind of getting a little bit shit but they had a grudging they grew a grudging respect for her and that was cool and she wore the coolest outfits of the period and when she had a fight scenes they played big band music which I was friggin' awesome really. you know it's like you know they, they didn't put you know what i mean it's like uh, they didn't put smashing pumpkins or anything i like smashing pumpkins but it's like you know they it, it was just, it was just neat to hear dum, 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 dum you know and then she's like you know flipping this guy or knocking him against the wall and and also she was very realistic in her fighting it's like you know she wasn't lifting a 300 guy over his head she was just like really smart and savvy very much like uh john Mc- john mccain in uh uh the first diehard right you know it's like where he did a lot of like hit and then hide or you know uh, just because he was outgunned but uh uh, yeah, Agent Carter was excellent, and I loved the woman who played her. Oh my god, she's so hot! <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, that's like you was... know, the, the realistic combat. That's like uh, the Marvel Netflix stuff—not Iron Fist and Luke Cage, but the Daredevil stuff. Yeah, that if you—I don't know if you've watched it, but uh... a lot of the fighting in that is is very grounded choreography. It it is what Matt Murdock would do. That's cool. Yeah, that's there's wild. no, like, I'm the untouchable superhero. There's that, if I take a bullet to the face, I'm going to die Yeah. type of yeah, approach to it. Yeah, and then, of course, you know, with what they did with the Punisher, the Punisher and stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, like, I'll have to check it's it out. Amazing. You know what? I'm like, wait, I'm so behind that I get intimidated now because I'm not a binge watcher. I just don't have the, I'm always, yeah. I guess it's a it's a goofy workaholic thing in me. It's like, I should be doing something. I should be working. And, uh, But, I mean, like, this weekend... Uh, I was at the show on Sunday and then Saturday, you know, my wife and I went out. So it's like I'm not thinking about work when I'm out, <laughs> Right. you know. So it's that's the uh, perils of having your work office in your house, you know, because you go by and you think, oh, I gotta get to that. I forgot. <laughs>
0: but yeah, I so. mean, like, I mean, if you want to try it out and you have Netflix, yeah. I mean, I know there's a bunch of series out now, but it's kind of like. Daredevil would be the the best one to go with. It's it's the uh, best done one. um They kind of rushed fun. the others so they could do a quick Defender season, which made absolutely no sense and had no cohesiveness.
1: Cool uh, that's, that's a shame. But
0: the Daredevil alone, uh, that was that's really well done. The establishment, the origin hasn't been tampered with, and it's that's cool. It's just, yeah, it's a really well done one. That's the one I'm looking forward to. I haven't. I haven't even started the the, uh, the second Iron Fist season, but October 19th or something, Daredevil comes out and my wife... Do they have... I... Uh,
1: oh, sorry. Do they have Stick? Yes. Oh, I love Stick. And he is... He beats the shit out of him if he doesn't do it right.
0: He is written perfectly. Nice. Yeah. Down to the casting of who plays him.
1: Wow. The, then the dude that looks... You want to oh, see
0: what's his name? He... I always want to call him David Carradine, but it's
1: not David Carradine. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's so funny is I take Tai Chi, and, uh, I mean, it's strictly, like, a. there's so many forms of Tai Chi, but this one's more like a yoga one where you kind of, you know, you move and you kind of flow and do this stuff. It's not like, you know, kicking and shit. But it's like, I do okay, but then I daydream and I screw up my moves and uh and there's, there's a bunch of us in the class and it's like i almost wish that master hong was like stick and he would smack me if i screwed up you know <laughs> until like like beat me within an inch of my life until i get it just right you know and, or just like in kung fu panda you know <laughs> you know i don't know if you've seen kung fu panda or not yeah. but uh, it's i mean i love that move. i love the three of them and it's just like i i, I almost wanted like have someone, like, you know, if I make the slightest screw up, it's like, bam, bam, bam. So it's, like, locked in my head that it's, like, I will always move it this way. My, my left arm will always go this side, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's,
0: uh, oh, it's so, uh, I mean, it's The guy who plays stick is Scott Glenn. I
1: don't know, but I'll look him up.
0: But, uh, he's in uh, Silence of the Lamb, Hunt for Red, October. He's been oh, Wow. Day. Oh, and I'll he he out. he is the leader of the Chase. The Chase is talked about. Yeah. The Black Sky yeah. is talked about. Uh huh. The Hand is the overarching villain, pretty much. For I mean, it's Wilson Fisk. You know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. kingpin, which is played by Vincent D'Onofrio like perfectly. Um, uh huh. But you know, towards the end when they start getting ready to finish that before they did season two a year later. They brought in The Hand. Um, in the first season, Nobu kicks the ever-loving dog crap out of Matt Murdock. Oh, man. Yeah, so, yeah, so it's, that's like, that's it's like, like- it. book five. It's not like trying to do a general appeal. It's yeah. for people who actually really like Daredevil. So Nobu's yeah, in love- it. The Hand is in it. Stick is in it. Um, they talk about the chase block, and Stick is a complete... To Matt Murdock in the yeah. instruction, they actually go back and show him link up with Matt as a kid. Wow! Yeah, so it's that's not like good. he just shows up and everyone's supposed to know who Stick is. They actually like.
1: Yep, I just knocked a whole bunch of shit down. That I shouldn't have, but that's okay. It's the second time I've done it. It's a, it's a <laughs> pile of pile of papers on top of a FedEx box, and I'm like, ugh. What are you going to do? Um, well, I mean, the thing is, I, I was reading Frank Miller's Daredevil in real time when it came out, mm-hmm. and I remember when he lost his radar sense, and then Stick came about as a way, and it was really cool because it was like an untapped area of his story where, you know, in the first, you know, early issues, he knew how to do everything with his radar sense and his sense of stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I remember, he, you know, Stick Came back and like you know beat him within an inch of his life in order to shoot an arrow on a uh, and, uh, to make a bullseye and it's just like he was feeling the breeze and he was you know and I, I just loved that uh-huh. I just thought that was really cool so and uh, yeah I mean I was lucky I was like uh, in my teens when you know Simonson was on Thor and Byrne was on FF I mean that was definitely if my personal opinion is that's the best era of Marvel accepting the uh, you know the the, the the original years,
0: you know? Right, you yeah, know, I know so. what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Like, for and, me, uh, I still have a, a soft spot for Lee and Claremont's X-Men reboot. Yeah, oh, in yeah. In the super yeah. early 90s. I actually have all five variant number one covers. Oh, jeez. Like, I just, <laughs> well, I mean, it came about at the perfect time. and I just absolutely fell in love with uh, it. To yeah. the point where I've never been able to get into the X-Men book-wise again because, the writing and the art are so different, and I know books evolve, but yeah, that's well, like one I mean, of those ones where, yeah, like Alan Moore Swamp Thing, it's hard for me to read other people's.
1: Yeah, I tried. I was trying so hard. I have a friend in Australia who, uh, a, f- a Facebook friend. And I cannot convince him to read Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, and he loves Watchmen, he loves this other stuff, but he thinks of the TV series, and he's totally turned off. And I'm like, no, no. And I actually sent him some scans, and he just can't do it. I'm like, oh, oh the he's best missing stuff? out so much. Yeah, I know, because that's another one I read in real real time. Yep. It's like. Uh, it's like my first year at the Art Institute of Pittsburgh, my funds were kind of tight and I would buy Watchmen, Swamp Thing. Uh, I can't remember another, uh, I think I bought West Coast Avengers with Englehart and Al Milgram just because it was goofy fun, you know? And it's like, uh, I have a bunch uh, of those. Yeah. Yeah. And also bought the uh, early uh, Peter David Hulk, you know, when uh, he took over and uh, that was very exciting stuff. And, uh, you know, all that, that whole era. And, uh and then when DeFalco came along, it's like Shooter was good, but like the last couple of years he kinda of petered out or I yeah, but it was stress from higher management to like shit out more books, you know. Right. So yeah, like no like with the new universe, he had no budget, you know, and it's like uh so that's why did, you know, it was just inconsistent. So but uh yeah, it's well like I said, I uh Let's get back to me for a minute. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's like, I just, I, I don't really know if I would write a comic that would be a superhero because uh, I don't feel, I mean, I've tried and tried, uh, uh and I don't feel like I have anything new to offer. It's like even when Invincible came up by Robert Kirkman, I wasn't that wild about it because it, it, so many of these other comics have had like parallel versions of Justice League and all these other characters or you know their version of Batman, except, you know, he's a hypochondriac or something like that. Right. And uh, but I did. My, my novel series originally as a comic book, uh, and uh, I did the script and I, I, I gave it to Chuck Dixon, and he came back a few days later and he says, well, because the main character no, who was going to be the main character was a superhero named Mitch, and uh, they you know two thirds in he turns to a superhero and does all this stuff, and and Chuck was like, you know what I because uh, the superhero stuff really left me cold, but. The, uh, he says, but I wanted to learn more about the band. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And then I spent about a week sulking. I mean, I'm good at that. So I uh, sulked for about a week, and then I realized he was right. And uh, so and I ended up making the uh, the girl of the group the lead character in the, in the novels. And that's only because I, uh, I had more of – I just came up with this whole new background for her for some reason. And, uh, like, her father was in the military – and she sort of has, she uses like military terms without even meaning to, you know what I mean? It's right, like, like it's uh, just part of her lexicon. Yeah, yeah, you know she'll be like copy that or whatever. you know. But it, it's not like she like, you know, she's very much a, a millennial, and she, you know, she, you know, basically talks like most, you know, uh, you know most kids, and uh, I say kids, but uh, uh, you know, it's, but it's just little things like that. It's like her grandfather uh, handed her down all his classic rock albums and that's what woke her up in the first you know that's the only thing i got a rise out of her just like comics did for me you know so uh uh you know so she moves away from home just like i moved away from home i probably would not have been in the comic business if i stayed in the comfort uh area of my parents in pittsburgh you know it's just I needed to go out there and experience life, good and bad, you know? Right. So so I sort of have her do that, except she's doing the opposite. She's going to Pittsburgh. So, uh, you know, and and, uh, she lives in a loft above a a bar that's uh, pretty much an exclusive bar just for old veterans. It's a shitty old bar. doesn't have anything hanging on the walls. And it looks like it's never opened, but there's, you know, you'll see uh, veterans in there with, like, various caps or, or you know, coats or whatever from various wars, you know, like, you know, from Vietnam to the Gulf until, you know, since then yeah. and, uh, you know, stuff like that. So it's like, so she fits in with them. You know what I mean? She, they think of her as like a mascot and she knows, uh, you know, they know she's scrappy too, you know, so it's like that, you know, so she, there's. Uh, I have a uh, scene in the third book where she plays cards with them. And it's kind of fun. <laughs> I had a friend, I had a friend help me cause I didn't know how to play poker. And he was like, well, here's what you sort of do. Here's what you sort of do. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, I'm almost done. I got like a month, I think, and then I'm done and then it'll be on Amazon. So I'm nice. just, uh, yeah, yeah. Two years in the making. Mm-hmm. First one, first one took a year. Second one took a year. Third one took two years. <laughs> so, and, uh, and it feels like 10 years out of my life, but, uh, but my, my editor, she, she's a, a ball buster. She, uh, I, I hire her, Chuck Dixon's editor is the same editor as mine. He recommended her to me nice. and, uh, she, she doesn't just proofread. She challenges and she's like, I'm not buying this scene at all, you know? And, right. uh, I'll either try to contrive it a little bit to make it work. And if it's not, I'll delete it, you know? And, uh, that's, they say that's the hardest thing like Chuck Dixon's wife told me years ago that Chuck had told her that she knew I was gonna be a, a decent writer someday because I was willing to get rid of the superhero in my in my story and that was my most cherished thing you know and uh, uh and, you know that's I don't know I'm, I mean I'm feeling quite writerly <laughs> and uh and I guess I'm, I'm lucky that uh, Ken Lashley screwed me over on Secret Six, so that way I would have time to write. <laughs> I was I was signed on to be the regular anchor, and I helped that, I build out like uh, two-thirds of issue one. Issue one. And Ken Lashley's very talented, but he, he's not a monthly guy, and uh, never has been. And uh, uh, so in the second issue, I'm waiting and waiting, and I, I was like, the, the two editor, you know, editor-assistant, editor, and even Gail Simone were like, uh, welcome aboard, you know, team team. Uh, Secret Six, and I'm waiting three weeks, you know, I, don't, I'm not, I have no idea what's going on, and uh, I don't know when it's shipping either, so I'm thinking uh, you know, maybe it's, they've got a lead on it, but the comics don't work that way usually right. um, so uh, what happened was, I found out there were only two pages left that they need me to do right away, of issue two so, uh, but, and so those three weeks I started writing my book cause I was like in a good place. I thought, well, I have a comic book on a regular basis again, la dee da. And then I found out afterwards. I was so pissed, you know, I was just, uh, you know, so I just went back to writing for a while and doing commissions and then I did some more DC work. I did, uh, earth Two, uh, world's end. And, uh, then there was uh, some other book. I can't remember. It's so funny though. It's like, it's like crisis, uh, you know, infinite earths. It's like, uh, future's end, world's end, uh, this uh, infinite crisis, final crisis, it's like...
0: Oh my god, yeah, uh, let's like, burn like, the universe down again, thing they are well, doing. Like,
1: well, no, it's like, it's like, I'm kind of numb to it. It's like, uh, uh, you know, they're going to try and, you know, scare us into thinking everything's good. You're kind of numb to it, you know, (laughs) you know, it's just like, uh, oh, oh, here comes another crisis. Here comes another uh, end story that, you know, uh, I can't take the threat seriously, I guess is what I'm saying, because. But now there's
0: rebirth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, they've got, a lot of these, I mean, a lot of books have really improved uh, under Rebirth, you know, and uh, uh, and that's a good thing. And uh, and I think Marvel should sort of do that, just start from scratch, because uh, the biggest the biggest problem I have with Marvel right now is the the short runs, like, that get renumbered. And it's like, if you were to say, I want to read Captain America number four, they're going to say, which one? You know, it's like the John Romita run, or, you know, uh, you know, just, all, they, they change creators so much. And, like, the latest Cap number one is out. It's like, if I were, it, to me, it really would dissuade a newbie from trying to b- collect comics, because I don't know how many volumes of Captain America have come out. I mean, there's got to be at least eight of them, you know?
0: Right, and, yeah, that's what I was saying when we first started talking is when I tried to get back into it, I was like, what the heck?
1: Oh, that's right, yeah, yeah.
0: you Yeah, like, yeah. and and this was coming from somebody who collected his entire childhood and adolescence. I tried to get back into uh-huh. it as an adult, and even I was lost.
1: Yeah, well, they had, I mean, that's like, uh, you know, the first, what do you call, the first, uh, I don't know, what the, the first uh, tear in the wall was... Uh, You know, Heroes Reborn, which I really—I did some pages for actually on Iron Man, but uh, you know, I I hated that they segregated the Marvel Universe. As a lifelong fan, it just crushed me. And uh, and then you know, then you had another Captain America number one, which uh, was—I'm trying to think of who it was. Gosh, who came back to Captain America? I don't know. I I know later on Jurgens did it, but uh, but uh, there was uh, yeah, there was a run earlier. Ah, Can't think who it was. Yeah, yeah, but even before that. And then, and then they relaunched it with uh, after 9-11, you know, and uh, John Cassidy did some real nice stuff. And uh, the writer came and went. I don't know what happened, but uh, he was, like, hot deal one minute, and then he was, uh, you know, he was gone halfway through the story arc. You know, and then you had the Steve Epping brew Baker r- run. You know, and then after that, you know, they've... Uh, uh, and the shell game that drives me crazy is... You know, you're up to issue seven because you've relaunched, and but it's the anniversary. It's gonna be like the 500th issue of, you know, of uh, of Thunderbolts. So all of a sudden it's Thunderbolts issue 500, issue 501, and then a few issues later, you know, they relaunch the number one, and that's just it, it to me. it's smacks of desperation. It's like uh, I, I we're, it's like DC in the 90s. Even I mean, I got in after the big checks were cut. I mean, I missed the whole boom. I mean, I just worked page rate, you know, and uh, so I, you know, I didn't buy a car you know, with my royalties or anything right, Um, so uh, what happened is uh, uh, ah, I had a point damn it, anyway (laughs) but uh, oh, like they rebooted Legion of Superheroes and I didn't mind that so much, because I was I did a fill-in issue where they had Pharaoh Lad, and he, uh, you know who's been dead forever in the past but, uh, oh, the DC 90s books sold well, because they had uh, uh, they had stability, like you had Jurgens and Ordway, and you like on the and uh, Louis Simonson, and John Bogdanoff on all the Superman titles, and uh, you had Chuck Dixon and you know the other guys, Doug Mensch and stuff like that on the bat, and you, they were there every month, and they were all good, you know. And uh, but it seems like the last decade or so, uh, the, the industry's uh, considering like. Uh, Instead of stability, it's stagnation. It's like, you know, I know millennials may have a shorter attention span, you know, and that's a general, you know, uh, statement. And so it's true for quite a bit. But there's there's others that, you know, they would if they would get hooked onto a book and it kept going, you know, you'd be rebuilding your audience back again. I mean, they piss and moan yeah. about it. They like, piss and moan about audiences that aren't there, but it's like just hang in there, you know. Because, from my understand, rebirths going great guns with a lot of fans. I mean, a lot of Marvel fans are moving over to DC because of that,
0: you know. That's that's what I mean. I mean, the only yeah, that's the only books I'm buying now are under the rebirth title. It's you know the the Superman rebirth were really good. The Flash one was really good so far. Yeah, and they've kept the same people on. I mean, Tom King's been on DC Rebirth since. Batman issue one for rebirth and he's still doing it and they're up to fifty six and it's same guy. You know, for a couple of years now. So it's And you know?
1: that's it. It's issue 56. Because When I was a kid, it's like the latest Spider-Man was like 136. And I didn't mind. I thought it was so cool. Cause that meant there was a history that I had to catch up on. Cause they did like a flashback to when, uh, the original green goblin killed, uh, Gwen Stacy. Gwen Stacy Gwen. Uh, like it was like, it was like a one page, uh, encapsulation because, uh, Harry Osborn took over the role. He like went mentally unstable when he found out Peter Parker, Spider-Man blamed him for his dad's death and all that crap. So, uh, So what happened right? No, that was in the nineties, and uh, now I'm talking 1974. Okay, uh, yeah,
0: when they did the whole Green Goblin return or whatever.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, like I said, I mean, you got to remember, I mean, I'm I'm 85 years old, (laughs) but uh, uh, but uh, like I said, when I was a kid, the first issue. In fact, I'm looking at right now. I have it uh, like a reading copy on a uh, in a bag and a board, and it's standing on my uh just as a display on on my bookshelf and it's got this great Ramita cover where he's fighting the Ring goblin and you know and it's it has pete and uh harry with that screwed screwy hairdo of his that looks like it's you know it's like cornrows that go sideways uh you know and i just remember buying that and then he had the one like one page recap to where uh like mary jane almost gets killed because there was a bomb on the door of pete's apartment and and, you know, he was ter- terrified that Mary Jane was going to die like Gwen did. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, all this history. So now, you know, in D.C., you got 56 issues of Batman and you could that's not a bad number to catch up on, you know. And uh, so I think I think uh, there was a few years back. I can't remember where I read it, it's some comic news site, and they it, it said the longest-running Marvel book currently was like Venom 41. <laughs> wow. It's like everything else has been relaunched to death, you know? So uh, and that's just... Uh, that's just a losing way to go about it, and I know Marvel's over shipping lately to to boost up their sales, you know, you know, artificially. And uh, but I mean, I know people that are like stuck with it, and ends up in like, uh, you know, uh, the cheaper bins, you know. And uh, it's just, but like I said, rebirth. The Marvels just should just look at that and just reboot the Marvel universe. It's time, you know. They've already fucked it up enough times exactly. to where there's no. There's no central. Oh, well, actually, they should start with a year reprint by this book, uh, by this Captain America run where Robert Kirkman and uh, Scott Eaton and Drew Dregey did a stunt stint. I think that is where they should start Marvel's rebirth. <laughs> so I'll be I'll be like the original Dick Ayers or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I got you.
1: So, so yeah, anyway. I,
0: I don't know. It's, it's funny. It's, it's a weird inverse where. The DC movies suck, but the comics are structured and doing better and actually have a better quality. But then you yeah, go the- over to Marvel, and the movies are top-notch and doing gangbusters, but the books are, they can't almost give them away at this point, which is right. – uh, it's, it's almost like a rut they ran into in the 90s. I mean, Marvel almost yeah. closed its doors. Oh, yeah. And oh, that's yeah. why, you know, when people who don't read the books or, or, or didn't get into it until the movies come out are like, Well, how come they don't have Spider-Man and the X-Men and the this and the that? And you have to explain them. Like, there was a right sell-off in the 90s to keep those doors open. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's why the Marvel Universe is so limited. That's why when they do Civil War, there's only 12 guys. Yeah. You You know, know, that's why when they do Infinity War, Silver Surfer doesn't come shooting into the atmosphere to tell Doctor Strange that Thanos is coming.
1: Well, you know what though, I have to say, I actually don't mind it because uh, I love Infinity War, and it was just crowded enough that I liked it. But if I mean, if they had like the X Men right. and uh, and everybody else. It really would have taken. It just would have been a bit like uh, I don't know. I, I just would not. Uh, I I to me it just had just enough characters. You know, I love Mantis because I hated Mantis in the comics, but uh, especially she was such a, a bitch in the original Avengers. But she's so <laughs> she's so naive and funny and sweet. And uh, and you know that scene with Thanos where she's trying to you know she's holding him and it's like I mean she's I love the, the cinematic version of her. You know, it's just. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, Nebula too. She's great because she originally she was just some blue woman with long hair who was the granddaughter of Thanos, and it was a real boring ass character in Avengers. I guess they were trying to do everything but get Thanos back. But the Nebula in the movie, you know that that, that Karen Gillan, you know the one who plays uh, uh, Nebula. She was also in the the new Juma- Jumanji movie with uh, the Rock and uh, Kevin yeah. Hart. Oh my God, she's smoking. If that's what, yeah. I've heard that from a lot of people. I don't. Walk she was amazing
0: there, but... as a companion for a couple of years. She really
1: was. See, and yeah, the thing is, I knew her from Nebula, and she was awesome as Nebula. But then when I saw her, you know without makeup on uh, the Jumanji movie, I'm like, oh, my God, she's smoking hot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just to be a total pig about it, she's smoking hot, so... Me and my wife have this thing. We don't give a shit about that stuff. She had the biggest crush on Alan Rickman, and she still does, and it makes her sad that he's gone, And because uh, he'd come on screen on, like, Harry Potter or anything else, and she'd be like, ah... Oh.
0: <laughs> right, yeah, so. like, that, but people, that's the thing. Like, I don't think people understand, like, those couples... They know they, you're not going to you know what I mean you're not going to go run off with Karen freaking Gillan.
1: Yeah, I mean it's like it's okay to have a movie or TV crush. I mean right. that's uh, – like a uh, Chow Yun Fat, remember he was in a few movies uh replacement uh replacement killers was, and Yeah. yeah. He also did, I think the what is it? The, he also did. It was a movie with Jodie Foster where he sort of redid the King and I or something like that. And uh, it was it was a movie. It was a period piece, and he was in it. And Karen loved. She had a big crush on Chow Yun Fat, you know. And uh, but it's just fun. In fact, Karen laughs about. It. She loves Die Hard, but she says it always makes her sad at the end because <laughs> you know Alan Rickman dies. And uh, oh. she says she yeah, she says you play it backward, you know, or something like. But uh, sometimes I'll she'll I'll. I'll pick up the phone when she calls, and I'll be like, "Hello, cowboy," you know. <laughs> I was doing Alan Rickman for her. That's the only thing I can remember. It's like, this is not a, a western, and John Wayne does not write do off into the sunset in this story. You know, <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty much all the dialogue I can remember from the movie. <laughs> but I'll be like, "Hello," <laughs> and uh, Judge Dredd had a story called "The Cursed Earth" in the comics. I was I I was doing a voice like. Well, I could put the curse to death. <laughs> so, but yeah, she she was totally in love with him, you know. So she was a big Snape fan in the Harry Potter movies. So, but now she, uh, I don't know who she likes like now. But like I said, Karen Gillan, man. She's smoking hot. Oh, my God, dear God. But uh, she's a giant fucking guy. That's cool. She's I, like, I yeah,
0: like she's that. like super awkward and funny in real
1: life. That's cool. Well, you know, I'm learning. It's kind of cool, though, because... Uh, you know, when I was growing up, you had to be in the closet when you were a comics reader. I mean, because that, you know, you might as well put a target on your face for a bully. Because, uh, and it's so funny because I reconnected with a friend on Facebook about five years ago. And he was into comics, too. But he never told me. And I never told him. And it's like we could have, like, hung out and, you know, gone to cons together. And uh, because it, for me, it was like just me and my, my favorite cousin who uh, lived, uh, I don't know, about 40 minutes away uh, uh, in North Hills. But, uh, oh,
0: yeah you know, same here. Like, but, yeah, Same year, Like, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just like if I'd have dates or if I'd show them my room or something like that, it's like I'd have the comics in the closet, <laughs> literally in the closet. Well, I mean, I um, learned a harsh lesson in middle school. What's that?
0: It's I mean, I was talking to a kid about you know the X Men and Ghost Rider and stuff like that, and yeah, and so I brought my binder that looked like every other kid who had baseball cards and basketball cards. I had my yeah. binder with all the sleeves in it. And I had all, like, the, the, the Marvel cards that were coming out. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. so proud of it, and I brought it to school, and boy, did I learn a lesson.
1: Oh, man. That you boys. know what I mean?
0: Like, I mean, I didn't get beat up, but boy, did that put a target. Oh, that's the kid.
1: Who... Yeah, yeah, you are a dork all of a sudden. And, yeah, uh, yeah, until
0: I started punching. <laughs> and then I found out I, I was, A, good at fighting, and B, really liked it. And that was part of the uh, what I was talking about earlier about having to get out of Massachusetts. I had dug quite a hole for myself. <laughs> in my teens. Cause I turned yeah. a lot of that anger outwardly and it got me it's, into a lot of trouble.
1: I get that. I was, you know, it's so funny is, uh, I, f- my opinion, uh, I think this is just my opinion. Okay. And that doesn't mean it's right. It's just more likely to be right. Uh, I would say two thirds of comics creators are damaged goods. Cause I, I'm definitely that way. I mean, that's why I moved away from Pittsburgh because I was very self-defeating and it, it, it was like I moved because I got laid off, you know, for about six months. Then my unemployment ran out, and I wasn't going to continue that stuff because uh, I got the I got more done when I had two jobs on on breaking into comics than I did when I just sat around, you know, uh, collecting unemployment. And uh, so, because uh, I had a sense of purpose, and uh, so I just moved away because there were no jobs. It was 1988. Uh, the 87 crash had hit. And then six months later, I got laid off with a lot of other people. And at the time, uh, Pittsburgh uh, was still recovering from the steel industry, you know, shutting down in the early 80s, and there wasn't that many opportunities. I stayed with a friend down in Virginia, northern Virginia, right by the Beltway, Springfield, I think, and uh, uh, I looked at the newspaper, uh, and uh, it, it was chock full of graphic art jobs, so I took a minimum wage job at like some place that did vinyl lettering and for cars and banners and stuff like that. And I just planted myself and then I got a different job with a little more money. And then I got promoted like four times in three years. So uh, it was kind of wild. And I thought, Hey, I could do this. And then finally it clicked that like, well, how about if I plot this newfound discipline to breaking into comics, you know, it's just another job. And uh, if I had not moved away from the comfort zone i would not have uh made it in comics i guarantee you because uh you know because i i so i may you know not me but i know a lot of people that thrive exactly where they are and stuff like they don't have to move but i was one of those guys who had to move away and i was damaged goods because i was really down on myself i i was just for i i have a huge italian family and they're very bombastic and i'm very quiet and shy so it would always. I usually ended up in my room a lot because my I'd have these uh, great uncles having these loud poker arguments with my dad and you know, all these cigars and everything. And I didn't mind that, but it was like they'd be like, "You cheated!" I was like, it always ended with like accusations and shit. But I mean, it was like explosive, and I was like a little church mouse. I, I would go sit up in my room and draw. But anyway, the reason I feel like I was a bit damaged is because I was very proud but uh, i was also very shy it's like i drew a uh, jam piece of the avengers i basically without i didn't know anything about light tables i drew uh, a myth uh hodgepodge of uh, all of the avengers characters up until that point you know 1976 or 77 and i used different like i used a george Perez iron man i used like a job Seven thor and just stuff like that and it turned out really good and, and uh then, later on, I did this big Micronauts one, and I did a big Doctor Doom on his castle one, and it was not that good, but my, I would bring those, not, my parents were, were like raving about me. That was very kind of them to do that. They were proud of me, and... Uh, I'd bring down the other two, and it'd be like, no, get the good one. <laughs> and uh, that's the one where I copied it. They didn't mean anything by it. But, right. so what? but, I mean, they would have me do that, and I finally got tired of it, I ripped up the original one I, I did of the all the uh, swipes I did. So uh, that that was my anger coming out. <laughs> and it was really unnecessary, but uh, I just had a lot of, you know. But, I like I said, I know a lot of artists personally who have – have been damaged goods and it's like comics sort of got them out of that and are still sort of but i mean then there's other people like you know like ron garney who's like totally uh normal and self-actualized and just like doug Mankey, it's like there are people that are just completely normal and they just happen to do comics but i know a lot of people that like me who were socially awkward who turned to comics and then just parlayed that into a hobby and went from there so right yeah that's my spiel for that.
0: <laughs> and, and I think, you know, I mean, it's, I think it's a good thing for a lot of kids today. It's so mainstream, They can't get into it and not make themselves a pariah.
1: Oh, yeah. well, you know, yeah, that
0: gets like so accessible now and accepted. I know. It It, blo- it still I've blows my mind.
1: Oh, yeah. I'd been dating a lot of girls in high school then, you know, uh, back then. But, uh, I mean, I did have a girlfriend, but it's still – I didn't even – she knew I had comics, but I didn't bring it up much. <laughs> I mean, I didn't bring it up at all. And uh, But, uh, yeah, it's just like all this, all these fangirls. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And it's pretty cool, too. You know, it's like, you know, because, uh, you know, you just get people from all walks of life who do different things, you know. And, uh, and that's what I like about it. And it's also... Uh, comic shows are more open now like I used when I went to them they were usually in the basement of some you know musty motel you know yes <laughs> and uh, you know but the, I remember in 91 I think it was the first big con I went to no creation con in the, in the mid 80s was kind of big but, uh, uh, but yeah I, when I came to Georgia first time I got promoted and I became an advertising uh, executive and I hated it quit six seven months later because i'm an ingrate i just hated it it was 14 hours a day i was an insomniac because i stressed uh and I, there, I i was management now and i was just like this is getting further away from art that i ever you know wanted it's like yeah. i succeeded myself out of what i wanted to do and uh uh but anyway i went to they had the very last atlanta fantasy fair I had 91. It had Frank Miller, I had Brian Balland, I had some others, and I got my Camelot 3000 signed by Brian Balland. That was pretty cool. And I and uh, Frank Miller gave a really good panel, and uh, yeah, it was just neat. I was like, wow, it's like, uh, that, but then they folded, and then Dragon Con took off, and then, uh, but I, I, don't, I don't even try to go there anymore. It's all, it's all cosplay, and that's fine. It just
0: yeah, I don't do Dragon Con. there's way too many people.
1: But yeah, it's just you know, and it it, is.
0: It's just one big giant cosplay contest.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it kind of
0: buries everything else.
1: Right, right, yeah. Because I mean, yeah, they have this little ghetto for artists, you know, in the comics. With uh...
0: yeah, they call it Artist Alley, but there it's literally an alley. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, like trailers, movies, and panels are this way.
1: Yeah, cosplay
0: parade of number fourteen of the day is that way. Oh, and get and the those. who create the things you actually love and are inspired by, yeah, they're over there in the folding like, tables.
1: It's like, get those goddamn comic artists out of the way. Those right. Bastards. That's <laughs> what I mean. Like, yeah, more people important people.
0: people. They're in that weird folding
1: table. Section. Oh, I got a funny thing to tell you, real quick. Uh, uh, back when, when I first did my store, a store signing, it was pretty meager attendance. That's fine because I only was in the industry like half a year. But. Uh, uh, I said, man, it was sure slow today. And the guy <laughs> triggered me. <laughs> he said, "He said, wow, last week we had David Prowse, and there was a line all the way around the block. And I just snapped. I said to myself, okay, David Prowse, okay. He doesn't do his own stunts, check. He doesn't do the voice, check. Uh, when he's unmasked, it's not him, check. So, and he, so he's basically the world's most famous uh, stand-in. Ever, you know, it's like he has the least to do with Darth Vader, but he signs his autographs. You know, uh, what's his name again? Such and such is Darth Vader, and uh, and I'm just like, you're the least Darth Vader. It's like James Earl Jones is so much more Darth Vader than you are. <laughs> so uh, right. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't mean to hate David Pross, but I just resented that. It's like he really didn't contribute hardly anything. You know, it's like uh, I mean, you know, he just posed and he kind of walked and he, uh, you know, and Darth Vader was not really a you know, much of uh you know, uh, he didn't move around a lot too much in the early movies.
0: No, he was, really did.
1: At least before the prequels, you know. And uh but it just drove just, just drove me nuts. It's like that David prowse had uh you know, a crowd around and I had like three people and two of them were friends of mine. <laughs> and uh but yeah, that that goes back to the whole thing with Dragon Kong. You know, it's like David Prowse. Uh, you know, I guess because he'd have stories about being on the set with original Star Wars. I mean, and that's fine. But I'm just like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you may have gotten lucky, but you know, I've actually done something this day. You know, I made some scratch in this business, baby. (laughs) So, anyway.
0: Oh no! Uh, I totally yeah, I can totally understand that.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, it looks like my dog has to go out, so we might have to wrap up. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, respect, uh, where,
0: where can people find you?
1: Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Uh, for uh, commissions of any sort, preferably superhero, uh, it, uh, you can go to com. That's D-R-E-W-G-E-R-A-C-I.com. And then for my novel series, which I have a couple sample chapters on that are non-spoilerish, that is www.drewgeraciauthor.com, and uh, so I have two websites. I'm on Facebook, and I'm open with commissions and uh, anything you want. So uh, just uh, let me know, and uh, you know, if you want to get in touch and have some uh, get some real kick-ass art, <laughs> or I even sell prints. You know, people want to buy prints of various characters like the Hulk and such. I like to bring to shows. So, uh, yeah, that's about it. That's, that's, uh, you know, and, uh, the the demands is the name of the book series on Amazon. And if you just look up Drew Dracy, the demands, you'll take it right there. And I have an Amazon page. And I tied in with all the other, uh, at least 30 trade paperback collections that I've been a part of, you nice. know? So, uh, yeah. So it's on my Amazon page. So you can see that you'll see 52 you'll see Thor, you'll see this and that. So, uh, yeah, I'm learning a little by little, <laughs> So, but, uh, like I said, it's, my little dogs kind of give me that look like, you know, shut up daddy. Teeth are floating. (laughs) Exactly. Hey, I haven't heard that since my grandma. My grandma used to say that. I love that. (laughs) So that's too cool. Wow. All right, man. Well, uh, do you have anything else to say yourself?
0: (laughs) Nah, man. That's it. Uh, thanks for taking the time out and like I tell everybody who comes on, um, the show's open door. You can come on anytime you want. Anytime you got something new, or you just want to do like what we did today and just kind of nerd out and talk about drift from point to point and talk about yeah. different experiences and things that we love and what inspired it. You know, are well, always thir- welcome on whenever you want. When the third book comes
1: out, though, I, I hope it'll be like a month or two. and I, I hope that maybe you know I can pop by and promote that. Anytime. Hey, thanks a lot. I had a really great time. Very relaxing. We <laughs> too, man. But, <laughs> all right. Well, you take care, bro. All
0: right, dude. All right, bye. Bye.